Alright, so here, so here, I'm gonna do something. Basically, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do that, right? And you just turn your head when I go. Alright, and don't fall down the stuff. So, what is all this here on vacation in the Bahamas, another beautiful day. Check it out, check it out. Boom. I want to talk to y'all for a minute about the power of perception. You see, there's a lot that goes in to being a hot social media content provider. Come on, man, this is blue screen. I'm going to keep it 100 with y'all. I haven't looked this good in years. I've been totally computer generated since like the 90s. Completely digital creation, 100% driven by Will Smith's performance capture. It's his performance, it's his emotion, it's his. This technology is gonna change how movies are made. You know what? ain't even real blue screen. It's 2019, y'all. Nothing's real. It's 2019, y'all. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. How's everybody doing? Everyone's doing good, other than the fact that we are on the brink of a nuclear war. <laughs> Still that unsettling anxiety, low-level anxiety, I guess, throughout the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've this, they, this is probably the most World War III talk I have ever seen. Like, mm-hmm. in social media, in culture, in the media, since I can remember since I was like a child. You know, since maybe like the end of the Reagan era, which I barely remember as a kid. So it's pretty scary. The fever pitch of it has gone down slightly. Like I feel like everybody's sort of heightened reactions kind of hard have already cycled through. There's a little bit of like a almost like a frozenness now. I, I don't I don't see as many people expressing as much fear right now, but it's still <clears throat> it's still just as possible as it was when this first happened, so I don't know. Well, it shows you how how much the media can, like, condition you really quickly to, like, normalize something that's super horrific aberration, like like a war, you know, like a, like the potential of World War Three. It's like all of a sudden everyone's, you know, up in arms, and then over the course of several weeks, it's, like, just already background noise. Um, yeah. To a lot of people, like, just, like, random people, you know what I mean? Like, I know that we had our stories of, like, random people on the street or like Lyft drivers or people at the grocery store or whatever. And now it's just like, that's kind of just the buzz is like waned, which is just so strange. I feel like that's really telling just about every crisis. It is. You know, COVID, the war. Well, it shows that this one is especially artificially boosted to be sort of pushed into the public consciousness by the media class. And maybe this is an indication that the campaign to get people as outraged about this as they wanted them to be is like not working that well. That's like my hope. 
But I mean, I could be wrong. I don't go out very much at all. So like I haven't been in a lift or I haven't like had any conversations or overheard things. But I mean, like right at the beginning of this, honestly, it was sort of like you would walk outside, you would see things immediately in your visual periphery, their Ukraine flags, you would hear people talking about it. And that has died down at least for right now. And I think maybe just that short attention span of people or like cycling in and out of this outrage cycle is probably there's a silver lining to it where it's like it needs to be sustainable like and you need to be sustainable for like multiple months straight with that energy sustaining itself to really propel i think a war fervor for real i mean the gas prices thing i feel like would keep people invested in the in the subject matter because it's like directly hitting everyone's pocketbooks and while you have people like jen saki just just saying arrogantly, like, yeah, we all need to suck it up and pay the Putin tax, quote unquote. <laughs> Meanwhile, 60% of Americans are literally living paycheck to paycheck. And it's like, what what goddamn reality are we living in right now? That this is what you're proclaiming to American citizens, that we all need to just suck it up and pay more for gas. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, I feel like it's, it's totally subsided into the background, although you know, on one hand, I think it's because like Americans are really US centric people. And like, they've kind of just, I don't know, maybe, maybe people are like, look, this really doesn't fucking affect me. <laughs> like, who cares? I don't know. I mean, I who think knows? that, I think that at, at the core, especially after we're coming out of the nine eleven era, like the way they were able to sell almost all those nine eleven wars, you know, post nine eleven wars to us was by this idea that we were in danger we have to fight them over there so they don't come and attack us over here there's nothing like this with ukraine i i think you need to have something that feels visceral enough for people to like want to actually like send american troops in or do more serious war escalations in and ultimately the six dollar gallon of gas price that's how much it is in california i see commonly now is not going to make people outraged at putin like it just right. that how does that math work? It's going to make people outraged at just how fucking shitty our country is. I mean, that's <laughs> or, or 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 Biden or whatever. Like, why would that? Yeah, it's like Putin is not increasing gas costs. Like what? Even if the media wanted to, like, indoctrinate people with this talking point that be mad at Putin for your gas prices being higher, they bombarded people with that. It's still not going to stick. I don't think. So, so, Robbie, you're saying that Zelensky didn't have an appearance at the Oscars like Sean Penn was demanding? Dude, I cannot believe how much Sean Penn is getting fucking involved in this. He, did you see that he... Oh, my God, I just confused him with Bono because Bono wrote a, <laughs> Bono wrote a so Ukraine poem that rhymed Ukraine with pain that Nancy oh, Pelosi read on the House floor. So, like, she keeps doing this where she's, like, showing how much plugged into, like, pop culture she is by, like, promoting the most generic shit you can possibly imagine the band that has their album on every iphone you purchase by default she reads a poem from that fucking lead singer that shitty band and i don't even remember what else she did but yeah it's hilarious that sean brought penn hamilton is like, back maybe she didn't bring hamilton back i mean she might as well have brought sean penn on the house floor like wearing like an army helmet or something like <laughs> and is sean penn like just trying to be more of that trope like people have made fun of him and like mocked him parodied him over time for being this kind of guy and it's almost like he's leaning into that role to such a degree it's like a cartoon now he's like wants to like 
Like he, he, I mean, he might as well just go fight in Ukraine. But then at the same time, like as much as I'm annoyed with Sean Penn, as much as you might be annoyed with him for being this kind of like Hollywood narcissist, do not advocate for him dying in a war in Ukraine because that will deify him and make everybody like remember him forever. <laughs> like, so don't, <laughs> don't advocate well, for that. <laughs> well, it's funny that you, uh, that you mistook him for Bono because he really does look like, like throw some rose colored glasses on Sean Penn and it's uh-huh. kind of like totally fucking the same person. Yeah. I mean the celebrity, the celebrity culture around this is so hysterical um, not only is it just staggeringly hypocritical, but it's like scary, actually, uh, how easily led celebrities are, you know, and, and of course, it's very disappointing, obviously, you know, no heroes ever. But like Edward Norton, for example, oh, I mean, my he God. goes off on this insane, insanely bigoted rant against Russia, mm-hmm. Russians, excuse me, saying I mean, I'll just summarize it. He's like, if we can't call Vlad's bluff with force of arms, let's at least stand alongside Ukraine by going on offense with extreme prejudice, exposing the American vichy stooges, freezing Russia out of society they cynically enjoy and exploit, reducing their world to the kleptocratic ruin. <laughs> like, whoa, What a dude. fucking dork, dude. He's like, such a pretentious dick. I am Jack's raging jingoism. Yeah. He was on Joe Rogan and he just seemed like one of the most pretentious, full of himself actors that's ever been on Joe's program. And it was just, it was honestly just awkward. Like the level of seriousness he takes his craft, you know, he's one of those actors who talks about his acting roles like that is just kind of embarrassing because frankly, I don't think he's that good of an actor. I don't, I mean, he's good in certain things, but like, he's kind of, he's a little corny of an actor for, for my taste. I never thought he was that great. So I, I think it's funny how full, fucking full of himself he is. Someone brought that to my attention that he was on Joe Rogan and I watched like a clip of it and I had the exact same takeaway. I was like, oh God, like I cannot yeah. watch this at all. It's a certain actor arrogance that you almost don't even really see anymore. Cause I think there's, right. I think that like actors to some degree, they're more slave-like now to the studio system, and they need to be easy to work with, like easygoing, right. kind of just charming people enough where you can hold a conversation with. Someone like Edward Norton reminds me of more of those like old-school, touchy, controlling actors who like are like like really intimidating to people and and like just don't give a shit. They just like don't care about making other people uncomfortable. It just gave me that vibe. I mean, I'm totally yeah, armchair I mean, analyzing him, but... <laughs> well, here's another vibe. I'm going to throw it at you. How fucking badass was it when Will Smith was like, I'm not going to fucking take this. Keep my fucking wife's name out of your mouth. How fucking <laughs> sick was that shit, dude? That was so fucking sick, dude. Total Scientology energy right there. <laughs> I thought it was... Uh, I actually cannot help but think that it may be staged. And I know that sounds crazy, it was just so shocking and so weird the whole way that it unfolded that I still, part of my brain has a hard time believing that was like a real moment we witnessed on TV. It has a wardrobe wardrobe malfunctionness to it, but at the same time, like I can't point to any single thing where I'm like, this shows that it's staged. It just, for some reason, that's like how it, like my gut reaction to it. And I haven't been able to like undo that yet. And I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I hear you. I to me, it almost seemed like like a breaking point. Like he had like a mental break because it was well, like, yeah, because oh, it was is, so crazy. 
it was so fucking and it's like dude yeah it was a it was a joke in poor taste because i guess his wife has alopecia but it's like i'm sorry this is extremely like uh, like i'm a god type energy like very like kanye style and i was just like this is like so fucking over the top and the fact that he just like won an oscar like 10 minutes later and just started like crying and he was like my character in this movie like protects his family it's just like what the what movie did he I mean, even win an the, Oscar for? I don't even fucking know. But it was like the only clip that I saw. I mean, it was just hilarious. And then it's like all these other people who were asked about it on the red carpet and they didn't want to like criticize Will Smith for I don't know why. And so a lot of them were just like, oh, I'm sure he had like a reason to do that. Like, you know, that like Chris Rock disrespected his wife. <laughs> it's just like, what? wow, really? I see. I didn't even I didn't even see any of the reacts from other celebrities <laughs> yet. And that's that's disturbing. But. Did you see him on that roundtable interview that they do? I think it's Entertainment Network or not. It's like one of those magazines. Entertainment Magazine does a roundtable of all like the nominees where Uh they have like a long form like talk with everybody just chats, shoots shoots the shit. There's a clip of Will Smith floating around from it where he's, he sounds like he has one of the most fragile egos of any like major celebrity (laughs) because he starts by saying that He's like telling all these other people at the table, like Mark Ruffalo, Michael Caine, like really high level like actors. And this is what he's saying. He's like, man, when I was 15, I got cheated on by my first girlfriend. I said, when, when I was 15 years old, my first girlfriend cheated on me. Oh. And I remember making a decision that nobody would ever cheat on me again. And the way I was going to do that is by being the biggest actor on earth. Huh. Right? So is. There's, the, there's been this weird psychology that I've always felt like if my movies are number one, my life is going to work out great. Huh. You know? And like, oh, that's just You funny. shut up? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, then, you guys, you guys have And you can see, like, the complete, like, befuddlement, like, cringe reactions on, like, every other actor in the room. They did, they're, like, mouths agape, like, do not know how to respond to this very bizarre rant by Will Smith. And he's not even, like, being tongue-in-cheek or self-deprecating about it, it's like he's totally serious while he's saying this shit. And it's like, dude, do you realize how fragile and weird <laughs> that that makes you look? Sick. I mean, it just well, was, it's almost kind of just sad. It's just so, it's so over the top. The whole thing is so over the top. But uh, I feel like the Scientology angle is not being played up enough about just how bizarre that kind of Tom Cruise energy is with Will. Um, Other than how rich, you know, Will Smith is. I mean, it's he's disgustingly rich. I almost feel a little hesitant to like fully say what I want to say about him because I almost think that he is like mentally ill, like for real, in a way that just almost to me just seems sad or something. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, it kind of changes. Not that this makes me think he's mentally ill, this incident. It's just a feeling that I've been having more recently. It's almost like how I just learned that Bruce Willis may it's possible that Bruce Willis actually might have some kind of dementia. And that's, Mm -hmm. and and I guess that's part of the reason why he's in all these weird movies where he has like no lines right now. He's in all these straight to video movies for like the past three years where like he barely talks in them. And people have been like confused. Like why is Bruce Willis just cashing paychecks and just, you know, going to set for like five minutes and leaving. Apparently there's some, he's not fully competent. So that kind of puts a whole new spin on it for Mm -hmm. me where it's like, just sad now. Instead of just like funny, you know, before it was just like funny, like, oh, this dude just doesn't give a fuck. But Will Smith said something really weird in a magazine like two months ago. And I think it actually comes from an autobiography of his that was 
just being released where he says that after he had like a experience of being cheated on, I guess this really defined his whole trajectory. He says that he would feel like throwing up, feel like regurgitating, vomiting every time he like came inside of a woman. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait. And then after, he, after he was 15 years old? Yeah. That, like, that's the instance that he said that he was cheating on? And that's what changed his like yeah, outlook on like, he, hmm. And he claims he basically just became this like sex addict to heal his pain and his pain was so intense that he couldn't enjoy making love or you know having sex with a woman and it would actually like make him want to throw up and Hmm. i i just have to say i mean the fact that he is a scientologist the fact that he's openly talked about some sort of i don't even know if they have an open relationship with him and jada's deal is i mean scientology has classically always been suspected as being like a gay blackmailing operation for ma- top level male hollywood celebrities that's that's been a, th- a theme going through scientology since people have been trying to expose it so i'm just going to say for the record i just find that a very odd comment i'm not saying that he's not heterosexual or attracted to women but it just seems like an odd thing to say if that was your reaction from having sex with a woman i mean that seems like it's a very deep psychological wound of some kind and i do wonder if he's maybe closeted or bi but at the same time i have a much lower like i have much more sympathy now for actors who don't want to come out of the closet than i used to like when i was more of like a pro gay rights younger person i was like fuck you know fuck these people for uh, you know betraying their real selves and not coming out now i'm just like no dude like hollywood actually will crush you and ruin your career if you are like a popular so-called heterosexual lead actor and all of a sudden you came out as gay your career would be over some of these other actors who just get cast as male romantic leads, I'm sorry, but Hollywood is not tolerant towards being gay, openly gay, uh, at all. I really don't believe they are, even though they act super woke. So I don't know. I'm just totally going off now, but <laughs> <laughs> all very fascinating stuff. But uh, I guess that's for another time to explore the, yeah. the mind of someone like Will Smith. The trip into the Freudian nightmare that is Will Smith's mind. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Madeline. The death of 500,000 babies due to sanctions was worth it, Albright. She died. Mm-hmm. And I can't really think of anything that encapsulates her true legacy other than that quote. Uh-huh. I mean, this was, this was during the Gulf War when the U.S. imposed criminal sanctions on Iraq that resulted in the deaths of half a million babies who couldn't get formula um, they died from like things like dysentery and other very basic illnesses that could have been preventable. It's horrific, genocidal, and it was all worth it, baby, according to Madeleine Albright. And I don't think people understand the gravity of what she actually said until they watched the clip that the audio comes from. I have to admit, I hadn't seen it myself until she died. And it's an actual member of the press standing up in a press corps, I think even at the White House asking her in person and that's how she answers it's not like a um you know a, a magazine interview or a television interview it was like in front of a room full of people it makes it even more disturbing i think to watch it so let's let's actually just play that that yeah. clip you're talking about because if people haven't heard it they definitely should we have heard that a half a million children have died i mean that's more children then died when, when in hiroshima 
and and you know is the price worth it i think this is a very hard choice but the price we think the price is worth it i mean there's really nothing more to say it is a very shocking clip i have heard the clip before so i always just knew that she was just like a really really evil uh, person. I mean, you have to be like a totally heartless individual Piece of to, shit. to respond in that way. It's like really, really, really surreal. I mean, for people who don't remember who she was, she was the Secretary of State under Bill Clinton. And she, she was heralded as like this feminist icon. First female. She was a, yeah. And, and it's funny, actually, in American Crime Story, they have Clive Owen playing Bill Clinton. And during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, he gets accused of being like a misogynist and a sexist and a, and a horn dog and all this stuff. And in the show, it almost seems like they're trying to give him points. Like they're trying to maybe make his character look good by being like having him go on a rant about how feminist he is and how he filled his cabinet with women to like make this big statement and how like big of a deal it was for history and they almost make it seem like he did it as like a noble and good thing. And he mentions Madeleine Albright, of course, as like a point towards that. Mm -hmm. um, but that was kind of like the first, you know, you want to call it like an early version of like virtue signaling by the Democrats. That's kind of what the Clinton administration touted itself as being, as this sort of woke, progressive, we're going to fill the you know cabinet with women type of thing. It is, uh, it's odd how much of a name she made for herself, at least in the scene of anti-imperialism, just based on that one quote. I don't even <laughs> think anyone in the Bush administration made a quote quite like that. I mean, if they had, it would have become like one of the number one quotes remembered for them. They were, I mean, so like that was in an earlier era when like politicians did not, they were not used to, or they didn't know how to respond to like comments about like civilian or children casualties in war. Like they were just not used to having to respond to that. So that I think that's a very interesting, like early version of like how they're just she wasn't coached or people just didn't know how, or didn't even think to coach politicians how to respond to things like that. You just do totally. not respond to it, you know? Right. Generally, right? Speaking. Yeah, exactly. You pull Nancy Pelosi, like totally. Come on. Yeah, it's a great moment in history just for that. It's like it was like early enough where you really catch a politician with their pants down and just see how they really feel, and it's it's very fucking disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it really, really, really is disturbing. Um, and that's really, I think, all we needed to say about her. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's really nothing else that needs to be said. It's just that's who she was. Yeah. Fuck her. Rotten piss. I'm going to eat a Madeline <laughs> commemoration of Madeline Albright. I'm going to eat a box of Madeline's today. Yeah, you know, all these, like, think pieces about how her legacy was so impactful and all this stuff. It's like, dude, no one's going to fucking remember her. Like, she didn't do, you know, it's like, what What are you going to remember? It's like Rush Limbaugh dying. It's like, no one talks about him now. There was no impact on, like, anything that really mattered. It's just the stock kind of can churned out formula of, like, oh, she was this and that and blah, 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 blah. And she served as a hero for all these aspiring, you know, young females and da, 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 da. What's her claim to, what is her, like, accolades in these people's eyes for what she did? Like, what's the moment? Like, what's the, what's her, like, walking into fucking I mean, China moment or whatever? I mean, the, I mean, literally nothing. It's all just, like, she was a brilliant analyst. It's just, like, lauding her, like... Mm -hmm. intelligence and her cunning ability to like navigate global affairs but it's really just all about how she was the female 
mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't. I don't think that there was any like moment that she really oversaw, other than saying that it was okay to kill a, a bunch of babies. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I mean, it almost feels like John Kerry. Maybe it's just me not paying enough attention to the Clinton era, but I can't remember what she's credited as doing that was considered like a noble U.S. action. Well, I think that her claim to fame was like actually coining this kind of liberal internationalism, like foreign policy and not not obviously coining it. Obviously, this notion existed, but I think that her position as a female secretary of state bringing us into this like era right before 9-11, you know, the Clinton administration. And I think that um, that that's basically like what she's known for. She really spearheaded a lot of the Gulf War stuff. So setting the stage, of course, for the 2003 invasion. I think people forget that Clinton was on the brink of going into Iraq. I mean, he bombed Iraq several times. It seemed like we were about to go in. I mean, if you look at the late 90s of his administration, so it's interesting how I think a lot of people forget that, the continuity between that ramp up to the Iraq war during Clinton that never actually ended up happening. And how it just ended up happening under Bush. You know, everybody made it seem like, oh, he, Bush is just doing it for his daddy. Right. No. Right. It was fucking, it was policy that was really, this like, is, it was like a moving train already in the Clinton administration. Yeah, this is a super bipartisan thing that had been mapped out. And if you look at the actual broad, like, last several presidencies before him, it seems very clear that this was a trajectory that he was continuing. Also, remember when I, remember last time I saw you, we were like, just musing about how funny it was that Bush, George W. Bush Jr. ran on the compassionate conservatism. Yeah, no nation building. So what, so that's what that was? Like, what was compassionate about it? I think it was, he was just trying to basically appeal to like liberals who were afraid of the evangelical nature of how Bush was trying to posture as governor. Uh I think that was, it was tried, it was designed to send signals to people that don't worry, it's not, you know, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of ran on a similar platform too as governor, like this liberal. I'm actually a liberal. I just run as a Republican. That mm-hmm. was kind of how they were trying to present George W. Bush, but it's. A, I think also people have forgotten, and this is an interesting, uh, just thing to mention, is that one of the last times Clinton bombed Iraq was in response to. Do you remember what it was in response to, Abby? Mm-mm. It was in response to George H. W. Bush allegedly being targeted for assassination while in Kuwait by Saddam, like some black op Saddam agents. Oh, wow. Because Bush actually did say, George W., he said, they tried to kill my daddy. Mm-hmm, but I mean, mm-hmm. later on, actually, it was shown that that was like a made up. Like there was no proof mm-hmm. that that happened. And it seemed like just a excuse or a casus belli to kind of get us into bombing Iraq again. Um mm-hmm. So it's funny that George W. Bush has said they try to kill my daddy when it's like he probably knows it's fake too, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Anyways. Let's move on just really quickly to Afghanistan because I wanted to explain what's happening in Afghanistan because it really does set the stage for how grotesque the lack of coverage and accountability is for not only the genocide in Yemen, which continues... You know, attacks have ramped up early this year. Telecommunication services were bombed deliberately to put a complete blackout 
on the country so the Saudi-U.S. coalition could continue their bombing campaign unabated, killing hundreds and hundreds of people in like one fell swoop, including a detention facility that killed like 300 people at once. In Afghanistan, after the U.S. pulled out, of course, the United States froze the assets, even though they knew that there was going to be what they first claimed was a power sharing agreement with the Taliban. They knew this forever. And then the Taliban is set to take power. The U.S. knew this as well. And of course, all of that shit happened with the withdrawal. And I guess I guess everyone was kind of wondering, like, well, how is the U.S. going to treat the Taliban now? Like, obviously, you would assume that they would just normalize the Taliban just like they do a lot of these other unsavory, you know, ruling parties or coalitions and other governments that are just, you know, folded into like Western allegiances or alliances rather. Um, and so you, I, I guess I thought that that's what was going to happen. So it was pretty crazy to see Biden take a very overly like, like draconian fucking maneuver to just completely seize billions of dollars from Afghanistan's central bank. The right thing to do would be giving out reparations, right? Giving them the money, giving out reparations for the 20-year brutal criminal occupation that killed God knows how many people, that decimated the economy, that boosted up this heroin trade that killed God knows how many more people around the planet. Instead, instead they seized all of this money knowing that Afghanistan is dependent on aid, like seized all the aid. Now you have a crisis that has killed tens of thousands of babies, babies, so far in 2022. I'm reading from Common Dreams and it says, quote, with 95% of the country unable to access sufficient food, Human Rights Watch reported that 13,000 newborn babies have died of malnutrition and hunger-related diseases since January. 13,000 newborn babies have died. This suffering is on the U.S. government, straight up, because millions of Afghan children are in need of, like, direct nutritional support. The U.S. seized $9 billion, and they just haven't, like, delegated any of this money back to humanitarian efforts at all. And sanctions on the Taliban have basically left international banks like completely unable to do anything or to transfer funds or to basically allow aid groups in the country. So it's a complete nightmare and tons of people are dying. This is 170 babies every fucking day. Horrifying. Like I can't, I can't even wrap my mind around this. Where's the news? It's sick. And this is a country that did nothing to us. Sick, I mean, they dude. attacked it's, us it's on 9-11. sick. <laughs> oh, my God. I totally forgot to say the craziest part. Other than, of course, the mass death being perpetrated by the U.S., the other crazy part is that Biden came out and he was like, guess what? All of this money that we seized, we're going to give it to the families of 9-11, Robbie. Mm-hmm. Okay? I saw that. That was so fucking insulting. Even to the families of 9-11, it's insulting. It's like, do you, don't you respect like people's intelligence? I mean, the, what does this have anything to do with 9-11? Like, I'm sorry, but there, was, there is really virtually no link 
to Afghanistan, even if you believe wholeheartedly in the 9-11 official story. It's just, it's fucking absurd. So that's what's happening. It's very dramatic, very terrifying, and completely not a goddamn word from our media. And if there is words about it, it's mostly just from like the right wing media bashing Biden for cutting and running, right. pulling out right. and leaving our boys behind. I mean, Trump, it's hilarious to hear him talk about it because, you know, he's jealous that Biden got that accomplishments, if you want to call it accomplishment. Right. And, and Trump didn't do that. So it's funny to hear his jealousy. But basically, he has to go neocon to bash Biden over the treatment of Afghanistan because he's not bringing up what you're bringing up. He's just talking about how. You know, it it was bad. It made us look weak. It's just so crazy because it was like the one thing that was good that Biden did, which is yeah. like finally pull the plug on Afghanistan. And then he does this shit. And you're like, what in the hell, dude? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Trump has to go full neocon um, about pretty much all this shit now. I mean, I'm wondering, have you seen what Trump has said about the no fly zone? Has he said anything about that? He hasn't said anything about that specifically, but he is saying weird off the wall things that always will go back to how there was something about him and Putin's relationship, in, at least in his mind, that made it so that none of these things were on the table for Putin. Right. And there's a really bizarre Fox News clip where he's like, he's talking to like one of the older British hosts. I think he might be a guy at Fox News Business. And it was only like 20 seconds long, but the clip starts. So I don't even know what how what the context of it was. But Trump's like, and you hear Putin saying the N-word. He's saying the N-word, the nuclear word. But I listened to him constantly using the N-word. That's the N-word. And he's constantly using it, the nuclear word. And we never talk it. We say, oh, he's a nuclear power. But we're a greater nuclear power. He's saying the N-word. <laughs> like, he just keeps going. <laughs> and it's like, dude, what is that? I mean... I think it just made me realize to an extent that Trump, I think, really lucked out. He, like him being kicked off Twitter might have actually been the best thing that ever happened to him in terms of if he wanted to step out and just sort of ghost out at that point, he could. And he kind of did because like imagine the amount of media appearances he could have been getting that he did not utilize during all that weirdness where he seemed like he was hiding out, not talking and then he just kind of let his whole, I guess, the media attention towards him just kind of fizzle out. I feel like that was almost his own making. So it's it's weird to see where he's talking now, what shows he goes on to. And yeah, it just seems to keep thinking that or saying that um, Putin would have never done this when he was president. And he even said this on Laura Ingram. I brought this up a couple episodes mm -hmm. ago, but he was like, yeah, there's a reason why Putin didn't do this when I was president. I'll tell you later about it, Laura. I'll tell you all about it later. But uh, there's yeah. a there's a good reason why Putin didn't do it. And it's like, what do you mean you'll tell her all about it later, you liar? Like, what? <laughs> I mean, he's a good con man. I'll give him that. Like, he said, it's like, it, I can see why someone idiot at home watching that be like, oh, wow, he's got some inside scoop. He's going to tell Laura later. You know, it's like, it's just, I don't know, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, meanwhile, it's just... I mean, piece after piece from these garbage news outlets, just the same kind of talking points rehashed over and over and over again. And now it's just so much more uniform and homogenous. 
in the wake of all Russian media being banned, essentially. Um, for example, The Atlantic, um, whose editor-in-chief is a man named Jeffrey Goldberg, who was a former IDF prison guard. Yep. A fucking Israeli military dictatorship prison guard is now running The Atlantic. Hmm. And, and for people who think are thinking to themselves, did he make an appearance at a very heavy agenda? Yes, he did. I think he's, he did. He's the guy sitting across from Paul Wolfowitz while a guy runs up to Paul Wolfowitz and screams, you Nazi son of a bitch, you fascist, you fucking Nazi. <laughs> yeah, it could have been for either of them. It's great because Jeffrey Goldberg looks like he's like actually like physically scared. He starts like sweating above on his upper lip and he looks like he's going to have a panic attack while Paul Wolfowitz yeah. just looks cool as a cucumber, not giving a fuck. Jeffrey Goldberg looks like he's going to have a fucking freak out. It's great. Yeah. I mean, he probably thought the guy was coming after him, honestly. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, who, who are you talking about here? Wolfworth or me? Like, what? Uh, both apply. But anyway, um, you know, here we are like, what, eight years or so after the Liz Wall resignation stunt. And I think anyone who follows her career since sees that she's a complete failed joke. You know, this joke congressional run. Like, all of this shit just proves the point that she's, you know, it was, it was a complete publicity stunt. Like, I don't need to go into that. So it's just funny to see publications running with the whole RT ban and stuff and just taking her story at face value today, eight years later, after all the evidence is out there that it was staged by Jamie Kerchick and the FPI. And it's so funny. For example, I spoke at length for like 45 minutes to an Atlantic reporter named Caitlin Tiffany. Wait, why did you they tell me about this? I didn't even know yeah, you yeah, did yeah. this. I just saw this in the show notes. What, what, how the fuck did that happen? What was she interviewing you for? Okay, so yeah, I mean, it's basically just one of these stories about like, I'm, you know, I'm researching the true legacy of RT kind of thing. And so, of course, you know, me and Liz, like I said before, it's like that's half of the Wikipedia. It's like, <clears throat> da-da-da, I did this, Liz did this, and da-da-da. And so, of course, she wanted my statement. And I, uh, and I talked to her at length on the phone told her the whole Liz Wall story, outlined all the evidence, really detailed, you know, what RT was really like. I was just like, please don't go out there and just, you know, rehash the same generic story we've heard a million times. Like, you should really do some due diligence and, and say the truth, you know? And so, of course, the article comes out today, and it's just the most formulaic garbage piece that's been written a million fucking times. You know, and it just it, it throws me under the bus. I'm the crazy lunatic 9-11 truther. Liz is the legitimate dissenter. The quote she used for me was just cartoonish. It made it seem like, you know, I'm just a moron. And I even said, this is what it says in the article. It's like, and Abby actually claimed that Liz, like Liz's stunt was staged and that Liz did this to allege that Abby was like the false flag. And she's like, uh, what? Like in the article. And so I just texted her and I was like, Caitlin, why did you pretend like you didn't know what that meant? Like, why did you say, oh, what? When like all yeah. of the evidence, I like spoon fed to you the evidence. I was just like, this is so embarrassing. And I was like, why is your boss a, an IDF prison guard? I'm just going to say this. <laughs> Most journalists are just dishonest scumbags yeah. who are just yeah. trying to get some things on their resumes so they can continue to get jobs. I'll just say that it's a cutthroat industry to get a real job. When I say real job, I mean like working for one of these big companies, doing journalism for the large part, treat their employees like shit. It's a real slog. You can only get very small, narrow like window of types of things published that you really want to. 
So you just have to like learn to mold your content around what you know your editors are looking for. The whole thing's a fucking racket. And someone it's a like this, total fucking racket. Let's just say maybe she even had like a good heart, and maybe mm-hmm. she was honest about wanting to figure out the real story. That's the best case scenario it can make for her, and that she just knows that she has to appeal to her editors and to the molding towards what the Atlantic's angle is by being a snarky like that and boosting Liz Wall. That would make it even less excusable in a way than if she actually believed it. I just don't even see how any smart person who looks at this can actually see what Liz Wall did was authentic. It's crazy. That's the thing, and that's why I, I carefully explained to her, Yeah, and she seemed to understand, but that's the thing. It's like, are they true believers, or are they saying what they know needs to be said in order for them to put the story out? Because you know that when their editor looked this over, they were like, you need to call Abby a 9-11 truther. You, you know what I mean? It's just like standard yeah. things that they need to like insert to like paint the narrative that they want to. And it's like, are you just that much of a true believer that you actually think this and it's hard to accept but at the end of the day it was just another milk toast formulaic article that said the exact same shit that every other article has said about rt and really added zero to the conversation other than this standard legitimization of like censorship and russia bashing and it was just like okay like what was the point of you working for like four weeks and talking all these employees and stuff it was just like god and i don't want anyone to forget since one of our, I would say, and he, I don't even know if he actually talked to you, but I'd say one of the more legitimate seeming people who took Liz Wall's side originally on this, who kind oh, of yeah. has actually Dave, yeah, Dave status Weagle. on the left now is Dave Weigel. Yeah. And it's very weird to go back through Dave Weigel's career and see that he was like real tight with Jamie Kerchick. They actually collaborated to release all those Ron Paul newsletters in 2008. That was like their, their story together. It's just sort of weird to see how much legitimacy he's gained, even among like other leftists who I mentioned him to, and they'll like to be like, "Oh no, Dave Weigel's good." It's like, what are you talking about? It's odd, and it's odd too that he's like, I think he retweeted some of our smallpox stuff. So I don't know what what his deal is, but well, he's another true believer, dude. He was like involved in pro war rallies. Yeah, he was. So I don't like, know if I he's trying that that to rebrand himself or what what he's doing now. But yeah, that th- some of these people who got involved in the Liz Wall. You story originally are really sketchy people, to be honest. And like, you know, it like I'll just describe it to people like how it felt at the time. It felt like a House of Cards episode, what was happening to you. And it still feels like that. So I don't trust any of these motherfuckers. Everybody's in bed with everybody else. It's just one big sick joke. And we already know Foreign Policy Initiative, the think tank, literally tweeted, tune in to RT in 30 minutes. Something big is about to happen. What do you need more than that to know that a neocon think tank was trying to throw dirt in the eye of Russia as some kind of like weird power play move? I mean, that's clearly yeah. what it is. This Pretty Why else would they have done out. that? Why Pretty else would they have fucking out, done that? Pretty yeah. easy to figure out. And if you look at you know Liz's interviews from that time, you can see her reading from several notes of paper. It is very obvious. And especially what she's done since. It's like, I can almost see you getting swept up into the hysteria at the moment. But like eight years later, like, come the fuck on, dude. You can, no one can be that naive to look at what Liz Wall has done since then and think that she's a credible person. <laughs> like, it's here's, just here's just an example of how 
Bellingcat, Elliot Higgins is considered one of the most credible people fighting Russian disinformation, and he has been among these liberal class of spook-ish, weird, natsec, chasing, you know, dr- tracing the dragon weirdos for a long time. The first time I heard of Elliot Higgins was like when he went on tour with Liz Wall. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's very strange that no one talks about how he like took Liz Wall under his wing and like tried to use her to like bolster his anti-Russian shit for a while. I guess what Elliot Higgins is saying, like as of yesterday, about what he thinks is going on in the Russian uh, Russia's government. Russia's committing false flags. <laughs> uh, no, that Russia has unleashed the Havana weapon, oh, God. microwave yeah, yeah, yeah. weapon, on their own top level advisors because apparently one of Putin's top level advisors was like MIA for a week. And then when he reappeared, he had like a severe eye twitch. So, yeah. Abby. What else could it be other than that Russia is zapping their own people? I mean, yeah. this is a Elliot Higgins slam fucking dunk. Yeah. And I'm all here for it. I mean, I kind of am in a way because it's like, it is hilarious when it's gone to that level. It's like no, the U.S. government. that's what you call journalism. Yeah. I tried to take account of how many times the U.S. government and the Russian government have accused each other of about to do false flags or doing false flags in the past month. It seems like it's been about 20 times. Since so that's like a whole new level of weirdness. So having Elliot Higgins talking about the Havana weapon being real and how Russia's using it on his own guys now, um, it's great. It's it's just how much weirder can this get? I, I just I'm kind of all here for it, really. I mean, it it's going to get weirder and it is getting weirder by the day, Robbie, because now that Russian media has been banned and breaking the set is completely gone from the Internet. Yes, it's available on RT.com, but not in its entirety. It's kind of like piecemeal, um, whatnot. Luckily, Mom apparently downloaded every episode and has archived it somewhere on like a CD drive that I'm going to have you help her get. Like, yeah, somehow. no, I, 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 yeah, no, I, I know where it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically, now that Russian media has been banned, now we're getting this kind of uniform. Um, one narrative, even from the right-wing ecosphere, it's all coming at us in a similar tone. It's all the U.S.-centric, Western-centric news, just like they've always wanted, right? And here's the infantilizing effect of censorship, right? Here's how it's being painted. Putin is evil, and he's doing this because he wants to expand his evil empire. So we're children living in a Disney movie, Everything that's that's complicated, right, contextually, like the very, very complex nature of geopolitics is reduced down to a cartoon binary about the war. So we're good. He's evil. And what does that do when you have publications like the San Francisco Examiner, like other mainstream publications putting out the narrative that Putin is some evil tyrant who's completely unhinged and a lunatic and he's a sadist, and he's just fucking evil. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. What does that do for the situation? It makes it so that we don't know anything, that we're going on just purely emotion, right? We're just emotionally reacting to these very loaded terms, like, oh, he's evil, and we're good, and Zelensky's the hero, and blah, 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 like putting all these like Marvel memes of Zelensky and with the cape on and all that. What it does is that it makes us not able to bring a solution to the table. Because if we don't know why Putin is doing this, well, if we don't know his intentions 
or the geopolitical uh, context to any of this, then negotiations can't be had. Diplomacy isn't an option, right? It's just that emotional, like, reptile brain activation where you're like, let's just arm Ukraine. Let's just, like, send them weapons. He's evil. He's not going to stop. Like, he's an evil, maniacal man who's doing this for no reason. He just hates Ukrainians and just wants them to die, Robbie. So we have to arm him because there's no actual diplomatic solution that you can negotiate with a, a totally evil psychopath. I don't understand it because... People have seen plenty of movies by now. It's become a movie trope that the people who act and present as being the good and noble side in a fight often are revealed by the third act as being actually the real bad guys. That's like a plot we've seen over and over and over again. I don't understand how this trope keeps working. I just do not understand it. But people, they must have some vulnerability inside their mind where it's like they're able to just strip away everything they know and go into like this reptile brain state where it's like they, I guess there are people who hold on to this idea that America is somehow morally superior. We are, aren't as evil. There's our leaders aren't capable of being this evil uh, like they are in Russia. Uh, and I just do not understand how that works so well, but I, I think it's just, there's something in the human brain which seems to want to think that the side you're on is noble and good and is superior in some way. Yeah, um, it's the classic, are we the baddies, you know, and, it, and it's totally true. And it goes back to the empire baby brain mentality mm -hmm. where you just reflexively think that your government is looking out for you. It's the whole benevolent empire trope that is perpetrated by the likes of Sam Harris when we do things and commit genocide and start wars and occupations, it's done with good intentions. And anything that happens as a result of those intentions, well, at least we tried and at least we were doing it for the good of humanity. Well, it kind of reminds me, I mean, actually one of the smartest things Kevin Smith as a, like a screenwriter has ever written is that little talk in the original Clerks where the guy's like, you ever think about how many people were like murdered, like innocent civilians were blown up on the Death Star? And like, when, I mean, just that premise alone is really interesting because it's like you watch a movie like Star Wars, it's so black and white. You have the Empire, the Rebels, the Rebels are 100% good. The Empire is like 100% bad. And it's unfortunate that, you know, I mean, Disney's never going to do it, but it's like it's, they almost should have flipped it upside down in the new Star Wars trilogy and been like, yeah, now the new government are the Rebels and they're corrupt and they're fucking up. And there are people in the Empire who have like grievances for their whole family being like wiped out by Luke Skywalker for simply being on the wrong side of history. Like that would be real if they wanted to do that, but they wouldn't do that. But that would feel more realistic. How are we still able to project this moral superiority? I mean, it's, it's astounding. But I think at the same time, we're very smart. Our optics, like PR, information, war people are very smart here to know how to do just enough to go up to the hilt of doing something that looks really egregious and bad, especially after the Iraq war. It's not that hard to make Russia look by comparison more evil. It's really not. Cause I think we do a really good job here of like making our image seem as squeaky clean as possible while like letting Russia do things that are like more heavy handed than us. And then we could just call them out on it like every time. And I don't even know yeah. if that I don't even know if I really believe that they're doing things more heavy handed than us. It just they, it looks like they are. 
Yeah. And I mean, the evil Russian has been a cliche spanning back for decades through like entertainment yeah. and stuff like that. So I guess it never really left. Like mm. it always kind of has been in the background. And, you know, when Russia wasn't considered our adversary, like in that brief moment of time when U.S. oligarchs tried to like pillage and, you know, set up like a neo colony and then it didn't really work um, with Yeltsin and, and after Yeltsin, um, it seemed like there was like a deliberate effort to just kind of see that back in like, okay, Putin, you know, Putin's disagreements on Syria and everything that happened before and after that, it just became like, like injected back into the, into the consciousness that Russia's evil and bad and, you know, repressive and, um, somehow different than us in that way. Um, it is fascinating that after the war on terror, any American can actually think that we have good intentions. You know, it's like, how? And how could you believe the media institutions in this country? Like, I get that there's a lot of things that have spawned off of that, like, and there there is a huge distrust and that has manifested in interesting ways. But like, above all, it does seem like people just come scurrying back and 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 just blindly trusting what we're told by our government and media. Even people who had a, like a wary, like jarring awakening moment like we did after 9-11, who became very interested in 9-11 truth, who became very skeptical of empire, any media narratives, those people have even scurried back to institutions like Fox News or to Glenn Beck's The Blaze. It's that to me is almost more disturbing to watch because it's like, wait, I thought you already, I thought you knew this basics already, but even you are scurrying back like i would expect more just like mainstream generic boomers you know to do that like that's expected if you're a more liberal boomer i could see how you would go scurry back to the media you know and let your guard down after 9-11 no you're totally right crazier to me to see people who are actually in the 9-11 truth movement now sucking like rudy giuliani's dick and like talking about how much tucker carlson is great and how amazing Ron DeSantis is and it's like dude you have fucking lost your mind like i've of all people, you should have at least maintained a little bit of skepticism. Like, what the fuck, dude? That's even, like, more successful of, like, a psyop because they're yeah. folded into, like, the establishment, but but thinking that they're still, like, renegades. That, is, that's that to me, is the most incredible. Yeah, and this yeah. is and you've seen an iteration of this under Trump. You're totally right. Where first, like, all these people got sucked into, like, a partisan, like, deep state, fake, weird, con- controlled opposition stuff. And then now you see kind of a lot of maybe more well-intentioned liberals who were critical about U.S. foreign policy just kind of being folded in immediately to like the Russia hysteria and being like, okay, like, yeah, like Russia's actually like the fucking evil like entity that we need to stop kind of thing. And and maybe a lot of these people didn't even really wholeheartedly believe in Russiagate, but like maybe they just, maybe now this is the catalyst they needed to finally be like, oh shit, like Russia is really dangerous and is a threat to us and I do support you know, the sanctions or whatever. Um, but in terms of like what's going on, oh yeah, do you have any? No, I was just going to say, I mean, I can, I can understand how that in got created, even for people who didn't get sucked into Russiagate, because even me, who's very skeptical of all Western media narratives, I will admit, I was pretty annoyed at what Putin did, the rhetoric he was putting out, uh, the invasion, and just his statements about the Soviet Union and stuff. I was pretty annoyed by it. I was like, dude, this is really, it just looks bad. 
And so I can imagine that that if I feel that way, how does some fucking knee jerk liberal feel? You know, ours already been primed to hate Russia, maybe not flipped over into the full Russiagate zone. Now they're going to, or now they're just going to. It's really easy, I think, to to hate him for those. Well, people. it's just it's just it's reduced to such hyperbolic inane nonsense. Like I can't it, wading through the narratives that the media is putting out is just intolerable like i i say this every episode but like i'm not watching cable news so i just can't even fathom how much worse like you know the -the run-of-the-mill panelists on cnn and msnbc and stuff are are talking about this but like just the think pieces that are coming out are bad enough and just all of the shit that i'm seeing for example outlets that have been clamoring to like insult quote-unquote tankies or anti-war dissidents you know and and basically paint them with a broad brush as like towing russian propaganda for so long but they never really had like a like um like a motivation to write like a whole article about it because there was no real like proof you know oh or, no like, did it would the just Gravel be totally institute hyperbolic. write something about this no no the opposite the daily beast wrote a huge takedown piece of the gravel institute for basically nothing like saying that they were towing Russia's line dangerously, like during this really important time, like this Gravel Institute is super dangerous, Robbie, because what they're putting out there is just all anti-Western stuff about NATO questioning intelligence agencies when Russia didn't invade. It's like, yeah, why the fuck do you think that was? Why the fuck do you think that no one believed that (laughs) for the three months that you guys were advertising that on the news? Like, hmm, could it be because of the last 20 years? So it's like so crazy to see them reaching to be like, oh, this is our moment. Like, let's take down the Gravel Institute. Like, let's expose them for, like, Russian shills because they're not tweeting, like, constantly about Russia being at fault for all this and nothing. About, you know, it's just, like, that kind of stuff that's just so fascinating. The Daily Beast is, I'll just say it, it's, it's suspicious. It's a suspicious outlet. It was suspicious that it was pushing so much anti-Russian propaganda so ahead of the curve, similar to Vice. And I, I don't understand why that is like who if it's their editorial that feels this way it just kind of feels like us it feels a little bit spookish the amount of jamie kirchick eli lake like neocons who are writing shit was incredible for daily beast about five years ago and it's weird abby one of the, the the stranger media reactions i'm actually seeing right now i mean other than the sort of what we already know and talked about is how there are people in the press corps like egging on the Biden administration to go it to World War Three level. And let's play a clip, Robbie, because it's hard to actually depict this unless you hear it for yourself. Why does the U.S. believe they know better what Ukraine needs than what Ukrainian officials are saying they need the most? It sounds like, you know, we're pretty dug in on our position when it comes to the no-fly zone, when it comes to uh, the MiGs, uh, despite this growing call, bipartisan call in Congress to shift a little bit. So, to put it bluntly, is Zelensky wasting his time tomorrow? asking for these things. President Zelensky is going to be speaking to Congress tomorrow. He's been pushing for fighter jets, a no-fly zone. You have to hear some of those same requests tomorrow as well. Has the administration shift, thinking shifted on that at all? though, calling for a no-fly zone. They're a NATO member. They share a border with Russia. How do we view their calls for a no-fly zone? And on President Zelensky's address tomorrow, of course, he is expected to ask for more assistance, as my colleague noted. A lot of the U.S. positions on that haven't changed, as you just said, when it comes to the no-fly zone. But on the aircraft specifically, the Pentagon said last week that Secretary Austin said they do not support the transfer of additional fighter aircraft at this time. 
Is that still the United States' position? Would a, a strike in Poland on supplies or, or anything really uh, automatically be met with a military, a forceful response, or simply a conversation amongst allies about how to respond? There are reports that a Russian drone made its way into uh, Polish airspace before going back to Ukraine and being shot down. Does a drone into Poland count? Former ambassador to Ukraine, Maria Ivanovich, has been quite outspoken recently. And she said, we need to mitigate risk, but it's also true that not taking greater action comes with a risk as well, because Putin is a bully and he only understands strength. Is the president showing enough strength against Putin? Putin were to use chemical weapons, would it change the president's thinking when it comes to these MiGs, taking the no-fly zone off the table, but at least on this issue? Are you prepared? Can you give us any more details about what that threat means of severe consequences? The president obviously made the same threat last week. Is that purely economic consequences, or would there potentially be a military threat? Those clips are very crazy. From the press corps, it's starting to feel kind of like a redo of the Obama administration when the press corps was starting to badger Obama's people to do more in Syria and in Ukraine, except this feels more intense and it's scarier. The other scary thing is former Obama officials saying things in public that are absolutely fucking insane for completely different reasons. John Brennan, um, let me actually read his tweet because it's so crazy. This is what he said on March 18th, 2022. People who don't know who he is, he was a former CIA director under the Obama administration. My hoped for endgame in Ukraine? Putin arrested by noble Russians who rise up and end war, saving Ukraine from more destruction and Russia from eternal pariah status. New Russian government extradites Putin to Kiev to stand trial for the mass murder of innocent civilians. I mean, that may not sound that extreme, but what he's saying is basically, he, this is the former CIA director openly calling for a regime change in Russia. Like, not saying that we should stand up just for Ukraine. And this, to me, hints that this this rhetoric was sort of being trial ballooned. Not, you know, I don't know if John Brennan was part of this, but, but Biden basically said the same thing that he had to walk back. That he wants, that he, he thinks that this man should be removed from power. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never erase a people's love for liberty. Brutality will never grind down their will to be free. Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. Mike Morell, you know, the guy who said we need to start killing Russians to show them we mean business on Charlie Rose, uh, who was part of, um, I don't know if he was part of the National Security Council under Obama. He was high up in the Obama administration. He's now saying... And trying to rebrand as if Biden is like being like an irresponsible like hawk and has taken us to the brink of World War Three, and how he's like blaming Biden for it. And I find that very interesting because it's like, dude, do, do you think people aren't going to remember you were the one saying some of the craziest stuff while you were in the Obama administration at the time? Like saying outright we need to start killing Russians, you know? I mean, that's pretty heated rhetoric, so... It's interesting to see what these people are saying now. I mean, Brennan basically saying the Biden administration go, should go further, but Mike Morrell acting like they're going too far. And it's like, okay, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Mike Morrell, the one who said we need to like 
like use proxies to just kill a bunch of Russians in Syria. And it's like, why are you mm-hmm. saying this on a PBS interview? It's really I know, bizarre, right? dude. Mike, I want to ask you about the, President Biden's speech uh, in which he said that Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power. He also framed this conflict as totalitarianism versus freedom. What did you make of those two remarks? So I think um, his comment that Putin um, had to go was an unforced error. Um, it makes it, it strengthens Putin at home, makes it difficult for any domestic opposition to coalesce together. And no Russian citizen, none, um, wants to be told by the leader of Russia's main enemy about what their leadership can look like and not. Um, the broader framing I worry about as well. Um, I think we should frame this narrowly. Russia out of Ukraine and impose so much pain on this man that he never thinks about doing this again. I think framing it as democracy versus autocracy drives the Chinese closer to the Russians and makes it difficult for some of our own allies who are autocrats to stand with us. You know, like I I get the whole like NED USAID model, you know, like that was admitted by like Alan Weinstein back in 91, where he was just like a lot of what we do used to be done covertly by the CIA 25 years ago. It's like I get the whole like transparency is like our greatest asset now because it's like but like this is like way over the top. <laughs> like what? <laughs> like this you is wouldn't a whole expect different... them to reveal that. <laughs> well, it's, there's I think there's something interesting going on that you have to question. How much of this is some kind of chess move rhetorically? Is the rhetoric just them? Are you are you supposed to take it at face value and just be like they're they have this talking point they want to get out they want to make this point. Or could they actually be trying to do some kind of information war mind games with the Russian government itself? I think that maybe some of these other people constructing these talking points under Biden got him to say what they wanted him to say, which was basically a huge escalation, implying regime change in Russia. And once that it was so clear what that meant, other advisors of Biden were like, we need to dial this back now. There could be different advisors like volleying for power in his administration right now. Some of them may be the less hawkish types. You know, they're all hawks to some degree, but there's definitely ones I think in Biden's administration who are more hawkish, who are who knew what that would mean. I mean, I, I don't think Biden just let that slip at all. I I didn't seem like that to me, especially after seeing Brennan's deleted tweet about this. I, I really do think this was like a talking point being trial ballooned. And if it was, that's really scary. And I think that that shows that they are aiming deliberately to keep inching up the rhetoric. And where does it go? Like I was saying before, they're accusing each other of doing false flags now. This biological labs thing became like a such a big deal. It went to the UN Security Council twice. They held an emergency meeting over it. We're talking about transparency, like transparency being our greatest asset. After the Biological Weapons Convention... We act like all of these labs for doing biodefense projects are completely transparent. It's all noble intentions. There's no reason why anybody should be worried about it. And I think that that has a similar overlay on it. And that's what's making it hard for people to be like, yeah, this is suspicious. This is weird. What are these labs? Is because it's like, oh, no, this stuff's like all above board. They, this is totally transparent. Why would you think this is suspicious? It has that similar like USAID kind of thing to it going on. The only thing I wanted to say about Biden was that the media photographed him just like Trump a few years back with a cheat sheet of notes for his follow-up press conference after he had to walk back those comments about removing Putin from power. 
and I don't know if you saw this, Abby, I can just read to you what the actual cheat sheet says really quick because it's so funny, I think, to see this, you know, just, just see a straight-up photograph of it. It says, tough Putin Q&A talking points in underlined text. One, if you weren't advocating for regime change, what did you mean? Can you clarify? And here's Biden's answers that were, there were supposed to be. I was expressing the moral outrage I felt towards the actions of this man. I was not articulating a change in policy. I love it. I mean, I just, I just love that that's like, he couldn't remember that. I mean, I don't know. It seems very simple, not very, very hard worked on responses there. Right. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude. It's like very like Trumpian too. Like his no, it like, is. cheat sheet of just like really basic stuff that like you uh -huh. need a cheat sheet for. You would think at this point the White House would have some kind of special printed paper that like you can't see unless you're looking at it from like a straight on angle or something. Mm -hmm. Like a paper that like has like some kind of reflective or like black, you know, like almost like a carbon paper that changes <laughs> depending on where you're slanting it in the light. So it's, it's just odd. And I don't know if you saw that video of him eating pizza with the troops no. where the troops were all like looking at him like very uncomfortably like they just they like they could tell that by the way the troops are looking at him and they think he's like a an old man like on death's door who's like has dementia and it's just a very awkward video to watch mm -hmm. and it really does i think i mean trump you know say whatever you want about him and how weird of an old guy he is he definitely seemed more with it than biden does and it's mm -hmm. it is creepy like how little mental faculties he does seem to have sometimes i don't and I don't know if that means he actually does have some cognitive issues or what, but it is it's it is weird. You can't really deny that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Biden's whole regime change comment was just totally like inflammatory, obviously, and he and it's just funny to see him walk it back, you know. Like the Kremlin released a statement and they were like, Yeah, um, fortunately Russians elect their president, so like you know, <laughs> like Biden can't do anything about Putin being president. It was just like a very uncomfortable moment for him because especially with this absurd addition of him having this paper that everyone saw, like what mm -hmm. a mortifying, what a mortifying thing to happen. But as far as what's going on in the ground in Ukraine, it is still really hard to tell, especially because of all the purging of accounts and you know, social media flagging anything that's like deemed towing the Russian line, which is literally like encompasses just talking about NATO or, you know, the problematic nature of the U.S. sending nearly a billion dollars of weaponry to insurgent groups on the ground. Like all of that is basically aiding and abetting the Russian line at this point. We're on month two of the war, but because of the pathological myth-making by the corporate media, it's so impossible to discern anything. And it's impossible to actually verify these stories that are being, you know, pumped into our brains, like these feel, either feel-good stories or like horrific atrocities that really you can't react to because I don't know if anything is real yet. One of the most obvious things that I think I saw probably the most prominently on social media was this accusation that Zelensky was filming... Um, like little video spots on a green screen, making it look like he was all confidently walking outdoors right near his like presidential compound. I'm not an expert in compositing or green screen, but it looks, it looks like it is shot on a green screen to me. I don't really think that's, it's that big of a deal in terms of like, Oh my God, he's like trying to fake everybody out. I mean, 
it's it's some kind of PR game maybe for him. Maybe he wants people to think he's like less scared or something. I don't really fucking know, but it, it looks like actually they've released two videos now, which look like he's fake out on like walking outside outdoors, but it actually does look like it's filmed on a green screen. You know, maybe maybe it's not. It could be. I'll I'll leave the possibility open that it is really filmed outside. But I could totally understand why people think he's like faking these outdoor videos as like a show of strength. And I don't know if you've you've seen those, Abby, but. No, I saw you commenting on it, but it is funny. I mean, that's a whole other interesting aspect of how insidious the propaganda can be uh, because of how easy it is to do deep fakes. There was that deep fake of Putin circulating around. And Zelensky. And Zelensky. And it's just going to make shit way weirder and way harder to unravel. There was already a deep fake of both of them, like within the first two months of this conflict. And the Zelensky one specifically was actually really bad. Like it wasn't convincing. The Putin one was pretty good. Like that one looked like a quality kind of convincing deep fake. So they're not there yet in terms of like being fully convincing. But once they are, I I mean, I I don't think people understand how weird that's going to be. Once you can't like instantly debunk something as being a deep fake and it's going to take people like weeks and weeks of analysis, then things are going to get weird. Well, and also just like, Dozens and dozens of photos and bombing videos and all the stuff that are obviously from different conflicts, right? And or previous years and or and video games, yeah, video games. But then there's also the other level of these institutions that pop up seemingly organic, like the Kiev Independent. You may have seen this new-ish media outlet like forced onto your Twitter feed. Um. It's in the Featured Moments tab that's curated by Twitter and basically assume, assuming by its name, it's independent, right? The Kiev Independent. Like, but as it's I a mentioned Columbia in our Google. last- You assume yeah. it's a Colombian and it's, it's, it's in Colombia and it's a little newspaper <laughs> that's like locally circulated. So since the Independent launched last November, it's basically amassed 2 million Twitter followers and it's become this huge central source of information about the war. So- Ilya Ponomarenko, which is the official Kiev Independence defense reporter, is the guy who I talked about before who said that he was literally like ordained by like the Azov Battalion. That like he was he was like de- designated like as their artillery man. So clearly not very objective, right? Clearly an agenda-based outlet whose main defense reporter was literally like called the Azov Battalion his good friends and actually said that they like designated him part of the Azov Battalion. No <laughs> yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah. Look it up yourself. So so according to the Committee to Protect Journalists, the Kiev Independent was created, quote, with an emergency grant from the European Endowment for Democracy, which is a spinoff of the National Endowment for Democracy. So this is the NGO that I talked about before. It's a cutout of the CIA its specific designation is to basically foment regime change around the world. Officially on the website, it says it's pr- it promotes civil society worldwide by sponsoring and providing training for like activists, you know, directly or indirectly. We all know what that really means. A lot of instances of Western media hyping up small-ish protests in places like Cuba, usually you have, uh, you know, things like the NED or USAID on the ground just like in Ukraine. I mean, Victoria Nuland admitted that they invested $5 billion from these entities on the ground in Ukraine since, I guess, 2001 or whatever. So this entity, the Kiev Independent, is a cutout of this U.S.-backed 
organization, which is really fascinating because here we are with these sinister state media labels on all Russian affiliates, all Chinese affiliates, all Iranian affiliates, no such label on Kiev Independent. In fact, it's being signal boosted completely artificially by Twitter over and over again, inserting it into your face as if it's the most neutral, like amazing reporting that you're going to see on Ukraine and actually the most trustworthy one. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, dude. It, it, <laughs> things are have so you seen scorched. Kiev Independent? Have you no, seen but that? I, yeah. I don't think I have actually. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised I haven't, but things are just so scorched earth and like so much information war seemingly has been like waged even just on us domestically by like our own intel agencies. It doesn't even surprise me that like something just completely random would pop up like overnight that basically is like a CIA cutout and then people would just trust it. Like, because look what happened that Gislaine trial tracking Twitter mm. account. A bunch of people promoted that for no reason. It got hella viral. Same with um, Disclosed TV. All those things r remind me of this. And I just like assume that all this stuff is done by like sketchy actors, you know, even if it's not like an Intel agency involved, it just seems like, why would you, like, you should just know automatically not to trust something that's like appeared overnight that's gained like a gigantic following. Like why, that should just be a red flag on its own to like not take something seriously and to just at least zoom out and kind of question what it is. But I guess not. Right. I mean, and I I always kind of was suspicious of it because I was like, why is this being so forced? And I'm totally unsurprised to learn that it is this other thing. And and here's the thing is I'm not saying all of the journalism on this on this outlet is bad or shoddy because it has this huge, massive grant from a CIA cutout. Um just like I wouldn't say that about RT because it has questionable funding. You know what I mean? It's like we all just need to like understand where funding is coming from and what these outlets are. Because the problem I have is when we have to guess and navigate all of the biases on our own. So the extreme hypocrisy of forcing state media labels or state funding on only U.S. adversaries is insulting. Because every one of these outlets has questionable sources and backing and advertising that goes into them. And that's what I've been saying <clears> this whole time is like, I would much rather know the bias outright, which is RT, Russia Today. It's in the goddamn name, right? Remember, and so it's yeah. just crazy that like Kiev Independent can be forced out there and, and people will use the same talking point that a lot of liberals do, which is like, oh, if you're upset with social media companies, just leave. Okay, then mm -hmm. don't violate their terms of service then. It's not censorship. You're buying into these private companies. It's like, actually, it is censorship because they are doing the bidding. They are literally doing the bidding of the U.S. government. How does this help? How does banning all of our T channels actually help their profit margins? It doesn't. They were making a shitload of fucking money on advertising on all of those videos, probably millions of dollars cumulatively based on the view counts that were just continuing to rise with a lot of these viral videos. So what do you call that? When a tech company whose bottom line is profit-making actually overrides their bottom line to acquiesce toward U.S. government narratives of foreign policy. I'm going to just put my tinfoil hat on here and say that I do think it's very hard for me to shake the feeling that the U.S. government knew on some level that the internet would threaten their ability to wield power 
and that they needed to figure out a way to like just control free speech but not by taking away the first amendment because that's what our that's our whole moral superiority stance we're better than other countries because we allow free speech and the free exchange of ideas we can't destroy the first amendment in a literal sense but we can't just like erode it and narrow the ability for society to be able to exchange free ideas so much that it just basically creates this kind of actual full erosion of free speech and I think that this is what this is all about. I mean, I, I do have to wonder why the U.S. government allowed RT America to operate in the first place and how they were even able to get on like mainstream cable television. And sometimes I get paranoid enough where I'm thinking, did the U.S. government kind of want this to soak in so they have like enough years down the hole so they, it would be really easy to tell people that like, yeah, Russia disinformation has been waging this war here to manipulate us domestically for the last three years. Here's all the proof. And they yeah, could just show yeah. RT's existence. It feels kind of like a let it happen on purpose <laughs> thing to basically by the end of all this to censor the internet. And not just to censor the internet, but to like steer like people's psychology within like the alternative media or media scene or media consumption market not just in a partisan way, like where I think people are divided left and right, but like divided in all these different bizarre ways now where they almost seem forced. Like if you're anti the U.S. getting involved in Ukraine, people think you might be right wing. Or if you're skeptical of the vaccine, people think you're somehow a Trumper. All these bizarre things now like make it harder and harder to just like have a free exchange of ideas that I do. I do have to wonder if this is all someone has designed partly what we're seeing now. Because it really does kind of just help power the power elites oh, in this yeah. country. I'm not talking about the globalists. We want well, to get there. Is, we'll go over there, whatever. But well, as much as we hear about like Chinese, uh, as much as we hear about <laughs> China's evil TikTok, and remember all that hubbubaloo about like banning TikTok because it's China. It seems like all of these social media agencies are run by elite like Western oligarchs who just have been folded into this entire structure to pursue the class interests of like the ruling elite. It's like even TikTok. I mean, for as much as they were like bemoaning TikTok for being like insidiously this Chinese company, they invited all these TikTok influencers to the White House to like train them on how to like push pro-US propaganda during this conflict. You know what that reminds me of? What? The stand with us Hasbro trading stuff. Because they yeah, like- pretty much very openly did that. It's almost like the Israeli model being just done in the same brazen way. It's like, yeah, we're literally like, we're not even hiding the fact. Let me read this this really quick because I really think it says a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, from Fox News. <laughs> Press Secretary Jen Psaki spoke with popular users of the Chinese social media platform TikTok on Thursday, where she claimed that the Russian government, quote, hacked the 2016 presidential election. During a briefing for TikTok influencers about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Saki noted that unlike previous diplomatic conflicts with Russia, the U.S. government has declassified information relevant to the public. I don't even know what the fuck she's talking about. She says, quote, the best antidote to disinformation is the truth. And one of the big steps we've taken is to declassify information over the course of the last several months. If you look back at 2014 and frankly, even 2016, when Russia invaded Ukraine and in 2016, when they, you know, hacked our election here, 
We did not do that. We did not classify, declassify information, Saki told the group of influencers. This is, I don't even know what the fuck she's talking about in terms of declassification of information or making things more transparent. But what's incredible, beyond the fact that they are inviting TikTok influencers to spread U.S. propaganda on the app, she is literally saying that Russia hacked, hacked our election, which is not even the basis of Russiagate. (laughs) No, I know, but it's like, it kind of was originally. Remember, like they were. Remember how the intelligence agencies like were saying that Russia was going to actually yeah, hack yeah, like yeah. the election machines. Right. I mean, I mean, it's, it, in a weird way, Saki actually seems to be pushing some of the most hardcore rhetoric in all different forms of anybody else in the administration. And I'm sort of a little bit surprised by that because not that I didn't think that she was an irresponsible hawk before, but it's like it's worse than I imagine it would be. I mean, yeah. just even what she said about the bio labs. I mean, she said false flag and accused the Russian government of about to do a false flag with like biological weapons many, many times publicly. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's really wild to see what she's saying in response to the journalists who are like a, like a pack of bloodthirsty wolves clamoring for World War Three, like all of these oh crazy lunatics in the press corps. And it's like Jen Psaki is just feeding into that shit. But I wanted to just say one more thing about social media <clears throat> because I have a friend who works at Facebook as like a filter. He is a really good guy and he sits there looking at like suicide bombings, like child porn it's like horrific the shit that he has to filter every day and ban from facebook this is what he told me a very credible source within facebook is that when the ukraine war started that they basically had a company-wide call that all of the limitations on speech you know this is a really sensitive issue and so we're gonna let all of that slide calling for the murder of russians and calling for the murder of putin This is literally what they were told on this phone call. And my friend was just like, this doesn't make any sense. He's like, can we have this in writing so that if we allow like TOS, TOS violating content, then we won't be held liable? He's like, because this is like a totally goes against the terms of service that we have been guided by this entire time. And they were like, no, this isn't going to be put out on any memo. And so they just had to be told like, you can't censor any any blanket calls for violence or like death, like assassination calls for Putin. And that was confirmed later. I mean, um, even, you know, this stupid meta thing that Facebook is trying to do that looks like absolute trash. They basically have said uh, as such, they said, as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we've temporarily made allowances for forms of political expression that would normally violate our rules, like violent speech, such as death to the Russian invaders. He claims that they won't allow credible calls for violence against Russian civilians, but that's pretty much what my friend verified to me, that everything was allowed and that this was a special instance, Robbie. Um, And then you have... Wait, 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 can I just comment on that? Yeah. Obviously, on some level, this increasing censorship and locking down what you're able to say and you know considering a lot of things violent speech when they're really not, like if you're just really harshly criticizing a politician... Like what happened with Ryan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, like that seems to be sort of a newer thing. I mean, what he said, I don't know how he got visited by the police over what he tweeted, but I think that there is, you know, that feels scary. 
But to see that Facebook would like actually reverse a policy and explicitly say you can say calling for death to the Russian invaders, does this apply to United States citizens? Can we here in the United States say death to the Russian invaders and does that not violate speech? Or are they saying they're opening this up for people who are living in Ukraine who are on Facebook? No, they're saying anyone. Well, then that's okay. Then that's very, very alarming because if that's the policy, on some level, I think that that's specifically designed to basically heighten the situation yes. and create a lane so that this can get more and more heated. Yes. And why would they be doing that? Well, I mean, go back to the original Bush era. I don't even remember what year it was, and maybe this is a pinnacle year. We should actually figure this out, like a really important year to remember. When did like internet commenters start becoming something you would see all the time on the internet? Mm-hmm. Seems like it was maybe around like 2005, 2006, like still in the middle of the Bush era. You would see comments that were just, you know, before anything was filtered or censored or moderated, they would be just hyper violent, a, a death to Muslim type comments. Like, we should just wipe these motherfuckers out. Like, I remember the level of violent, like Islamophobic rhetoric in the early internet comments was very, very intense. And and it was most of all the comments were very right wing, very bloodthirsty, very pro Bush. And it gave me this actually really sad feeling where this like it was a reality that was that was hard for me to accept. I remember I was thinking like this can't possibly be a normal sample of the American public. And if it is like this is really depressing that this is what I'm seeing online. It made me feel really almost just like losing hope and like being able to bring more awareness to the war machine. And I think that this kind of stuff is designed to kind of do the same thing. It's just designed to create a consensus building and make it seem like, you know, everybody is just against the Russians. I wonder how violent you can be. Right. Well, I mean, I, I always remember that Marco Rubio tweet where he literally posted like Gaddafi getting lynched and like tweeted a threat to Maduro, like you're next kind of thing. And that was just completely left up. Mm-hmm. So this is already the precedent's already been set, you know, like this is already allowed. We've already been at that precipice and Twitter has already said, like, we're going to allow this one. And so I can't say I'm too surprised. I mean, Facebook or uh, was it? Wait, no, that was Twitter. Twitter. Oh, but, okay. but this is also happening with Twitter. Uh, Zelensky actually took to Twitter to thank Mark Zuckerberg for standing with Ukraine in the, quote, informational space. So he wrote. Quote, war is not only a military opposition, it is also a fierce battle in the informational space. I want to thank Meta and other platforms that have an active position that help and stand side by side with Ukraine. This is super fascinating because it's just a direct admission that Zelensky is in touch with these tech giants to push pro-U.S. propaganda while banning pro-Russia propaganda. This is this is a direct admission that these Silicon Valley giants are directly aiding Ukraine by allowing whatever Zelensky wants to put out there unabated, unrestricted, and completely banning or labeling or whatever, um, backpaging or outright censoring anything that could be construed as the Russian side. This is just completely fascinating to me because Zelensky's right. This is an information war. And there is a battle being waged on our minds. And, and this is very disturbing that this is just an acceptable thing. 
And we are all getting guided by these social media companies on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of us unknowingly so to shape our opinions. You know, it's all algorithmically generated to show you what they want you to see. And meanwhile, this is having a real life effect, not only polling showing this bloodlust manifesting into saying, you know, calls for a no-fly zone, whatnot. This is directly manifesting into hate crimes against Russians now. Um, just two instances. A cultural center in Paris was firebombed last a couple weekends ago, and a man in Dublin drove a truck into the gates of a Russian embassy. And these are just two instances. I'm sure there are many, many more of people directly targeting Russians as a result of this war fervor building. Yeah. And there's also old Cold War trope classics and also obscure things being dug up that I are particularly fun for me. I, I've seen people actually recently remembering or going back to the subject that I'm covering right now on our bonus episodes, the smallpox uh, bioterror hoax that people are now like worried that they're remembering that Russia technically still has the only WHO allowed live virus samples of smallpox in a lab called Vector that Russia is allowed to hold. And people are now like worried about that again. And it's like, well, like that was never, that's always been like that. I don't know. The whole, the whole fucking situation is just so bizarre. I don't know. And people who haven't listened to it yet, check out the episode I just put out with Gumby about these, Ukrainian biological labs that are under this defense threat reduction agency program, the level of propaganda and like, not, there's not even really that that's not even being censored online, but it's almost worse to me than it being censored because it's basically being looked at by the media class as like a conspiracy theory. That's just like being pushed by the right wing, like this silly conspiracy theory. It's ridiculous. The right wingers love it. Like fuck these idiots, and that's like the narr- and that's like the way the media here is covering it, and it's it's just really disappointing. And the alt media, I don't think, is doing a great job either of covering it. So check out the episode. I can't wait to listen to it. Um, and I just want to like just talk about this really quickly because you know back to the <clears throat> fog of war thing. It's it's weird to navigate this space right now because there are no good actors. The Ukraine, like, government, Zelensky, the folding into, like, Azov, into the National Guard, there's, like, a lot of horrific things with Ukraine. There's a lot of horrific things about Putin and his government. And obviously, they're the perpetrators of the invasion. Like, duh. Um, And then the U.S., of course, is a horrific actor that has terrible intentions to just make this into this never-ending slog where they're bogging down Russian soldiers for months and months and using as many Ukrainian lives as cannon fodder as they can. And it's really disturbing to actually, going back to like the good versus evil narrative, like why can't we accept that like everyone's bad? You know, like some maybe more than others, but like there's no good side here. There's no good actors. And it leads me to like the distrust that I have in like all the all the coverage, including mm-hmm. like alt media. It's like very binary. Like you see a lot of people just kind of knee-jerkily taking like the Russian side, And it's like, look, we have no idea really anything that's happened because the dust hasn't cleared. Like, Maripol has been completely fucking decimated. The city's basically in ruins. Uh, It's pretty heartbreaking, you know? I have read several accounts of 
to AP journalists that were on the ground who were basically documenting like several children being put into makeshift mass graves um, before they themselves took refuge in a bomb shelter. You know, the photos are really devastating. There's parents wailing after their babies were killed. One of them had his legs blown off, didn't survive. There's a lot of horror going on. I, I've read statistics of, you know, 90% of the city has like been damaged at least, if not a lot of these buildings completely destroyed. Obviously, civilians are being killed. It's hard to tell how many. I've read reports everywhere from 1,000 to 5,000. As I said, everything's kind of unverified and unconfirmed. There have been reports of a Fox News cameraman who died from stray fire and another documentarian who apparently was shot in the neck by Russian soldiers at a checkpoint. And I did kind of follow up on these claims to make sure that like, yes, this is what, as best we know, this is the account that this guy's friend said happened who survived. Russian forces have completely devastated at least Maripol, where I guess the majority of the fighting has taken place so far. And as far as I know, it seems like street by street, they are cordoning off the city, trying to push everyone into certain areas. And it's a lot of like mini battles and a lot of mini shelling of different uh, fighting arenas. But even MSM sources are saying that Azov's battalion are the ones mainly defending this area. I just want to take a step back and like acknowledge that Russia is committing horrific atrocities, right? Yes, they did shell a hospital where there were people scheduled to give birth. Yes, that wasn't a staged photo like Russian officials have alleged of some woman who they claim was like a TikTok influencer staging the fact that she was pregnant about to give birth. Like, no, that woman was real. She gave birth. Another pregnant woman died and the baby died. Like these things are happening, but it's also true that Azov is the main fighting force on the ground in Maripol. And like this binary of people being like, if you're overinflating the Nazis, like, oh, there's just a thousand Azov's members in this battalion. And like, oh, you're like just bolstering like Putin's narrative if you want to say anything about the Nazis. It's like, no, this is fucking real. And if there's only a thousand people, why is it that this is basically Azov is leading all of the shit going on in Maripol? And why is it, like we said before, that a lot of mainstream media reports can't help themselves but glorify Azov members? Can't we just, like, be honest about all of this? Well, no, I mean, because everything, it, I think it just goes along with that theme that it's like, it's been so such scorched earth, the information landscape, that it just doesn't even matter anymore. It's just push whatever narrative is the most useful. You know, we've learned, I guess, from some of the mistakes of the Iraq war, like we're not going to see another jessica lynch type incident i was just mm -hmm. remembering that and watching videos of that last night and that was oh my god very fucking over the top like how fake everything about that was how staged the rollout was how that reporter asked the general now is there any footage of that rescue operation heard there might be footage and the general was like yes actually there's footage um uh here it happens to be in this vcr right here in front of me hooked to this tv right now <laughs> and then he plays the tape it's like you know, it's it's so it was so heavy handed, um, but I feel like now it's it's not that it's as heavy handed as it was. Even though I've seen people say this is the most intense they've ever felt media propaganda, I just think they don't care anymore. And the, like the narrative changes so fast, it doesn't stay for long enough. Things just keep switching back and forth. You don't even see like like for example the Jessica Lynch story, Abby, that had like a media mainstream media like look back and auditing like type of coverage like months after 
and people in the media were like, wait a second, this was a hoax. Even mainstream media that fell for it still felt obligated to report on how it was a hoax. That we don't have that anymore now. Like just like they just exactly. keep moving through shit. We have exactly. maybe a blip where it's like, oh, the Hunter Biden laptop leak. Actually, that wasn't Russian disinformation. Whoops. And then it just like people just forget. Yeah. Like the Snake Island thing was used, promoted for days and days and days. And then once it was like debunked, it was just like totally forgotten about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People only remember the initial yeah. emotion. And you even see the B- this BBC fixer who's like the main Ukraine correspondent for the BBC right now. Her header on Twitter literally is still the Snake Island quote being like, Russia, uh, go fuck yourself. And it's like, dude, this didn't happen. Like, that really set the tone. What are you doing? That was like the hipsterfication of mainstream media. Like they took like the vice vibes and they were like, we're going to use this. <laughs> Russia, yeah, go it, fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but one, one so, thing I just wanted to say, just because uh-huh. I just wanted to not push back on the idea that these are atrocities. Because I do think, I mean, bombings are always atrocities pretty much That's no matter I mean. who's doing them. Now, the, the weapons being given to the Ukrainians at this point are more sophisticated, more expensive. They're give, being given more by the U.S. government now. Like, this is a, w- the ball game has even changed since the last time the last weapon supplemental was sent to Ukraine. They have access now to, like, I believe, like, fully anti-tank, armor-piercing, like, heat-seeking, miss- like, shoulder-mounted missiles. Um, so like the U S is fueling this war. Actually, you could argue, I would say in a more direct way than there, than even like the Saudi Arabia, Yemen war in, in a, in a sense, I think the energy being given to the Ukrainians and what they the weapons are using, we're not going to hear as much about atrocities being committed by those weapons, but there's got to be horrible stuff happening with them. They're not very well trained. They don't have experience with these kinds of weapons. Like I was saying in the last episode, so we're probably going to see more coverage of like Russian atrocities simply because they have more sophisticated weapons than what we're being, you know, we're giving to the Ukrainians now, but we're giving them like way more sophisticated shit than we were. So I just want people to remember that it's, it's really, you know, that causes a a whole different type of escalation in the, just the amount of like human casualties and suffering uh, that we're going to be seeing. Yeah, we just sent more weapons and Ukraine basically sent a wish list that it told the Biden administration it needs 500 javelins and 500 stingers per day, per day. Wow. That's how much they are asking to be sent. I mean, a stinger for people who don't know what that is, that can take down sometimes a low flying jet plane, mostly I think meant to take down helicopter. God damn, that's that's scary. To your point. There was a horrific atrocity committed by the Ukrainian side that no one reported on, of course. And it was actually one of the most horrifying things that I've seen come out of the conflict so far. And it's just shocking that it was barely reported because it didn't fit the the narrative, obviously. You know, this neat narrative that's put up by the West. And it was a ballistic missile that was launched into Donetsk. Tons of dead bodies in the streets. It looked just like a, like the aftermath of like a suicide bombing in Kabul. Like it was really, really fucking grotesque. 17 people were killed. I think 28 people wounded. That's the fucking damage that one of these missiles can do. Um, and it just and fell I, in the center of this town. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you see any missile from any side flying into like a, what it looks like a residential area or causing damage in it, you can't help but just think it's horrible. That's why I just... 
really try to avoid this like taking sides kind of thing in a situation like this. Although I do completely sympathize with actually a lot of Russia's rationale behind thinking that what's happening in Ukraine is a threat to them. Not the like denazification thing or things like that, but other things I do think probably actually played a legitimate role in their calculus for doing this. And, you know, I don't know if they're, I don't, I think it's beyond the point now where they're ever going to win the optics war to get people on board their logic for why they did this. The U.S. already seems like it had all this shit ready to go, getting all these corporations to fucking like do their own sort of soft sanctions on them and mass. I mean, it's a brilliant maneuver. It's just, how do you fight against that? You know, how do you win the optics war against that? I guess you do it by saying you feel like JK Rowling and that you're being canceled, which is literally what Putin did. So it just shows, I think it just shows how much they've lost in some ways the optics war, which I'm kind of disappointed by. Like, I feel like Russia could do better than Putin comparing himself to JK Rowling. I mean, come on, dude. Um, I mean, I think Russia's at fault for invading a country, but I well, yeah. do think <laughs> that they were baited and it it inevitably is Putin's fault for being so fucking stupid optically to run into a trap that's been laid out and also to not use the civil war that had been going on for eight years as an international rallying cry. Like, I, the fact that I didn't realize how many people were dying on the border of, like, Russia and Ukraine since the 2014 coup, I think says a lot about the, about the um, limitations of, like, the reach of Russian media or propaganda at all. Like, that was not front and center. Like, that should have been fucking displayed front and center on, like, RT, Sputnik. Like, I, I barely heard anyone talking about this shit. And so how do you explain that? Like, why didn't he exhaust all of his options on the international stage to try to rally support for some sort of diplomacy or measure that could have prevented a full-scale invasion of a country? He barely did anything. In fact, I don't even know what he did other than telling NATO members that they would have no choice but to invade militarily unless Ukraine promised that it was a neutral country. It wasn't that... Ukraine was on the doorstep of joining NATO. Like I said, there are no good actors here, but I but I absolutely blame Putin for invading Ukraine. Like, that's fucking crazy that he did that. Well, it is crazy that he actually went ahead and did it because I think one of the true things that Fred Kagan said in a in a talk he did for the American Enterprise Institute was that Putin was doing very well in what these neocons described as Russia's version of like hybrid warfare, like a mixture of like information warfare and sort of stealth covert real warfare in Ukraine, you know, trying to fuel the civil war, trying to sow chaos, trying to just destabilize the country. The winners take the spoils. That version of what they were doing seemed to be actually working. So why would they do this so suddenly? It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense and I do think it's there's a lot of signs to it that it does seem like it was a decision kind of made suddenly it wasn't something that was very well planned out and I don't know I mean it does seem like the U.S. at least from what I could see planned their response out a lot better because they've like won the optics war and the mainstream consciousness so easily 
and, you know, made it just seem like how moral their side is. Um, I do, it really is. It does seem like a decision made on a dime. And the fact that the, there's some good stuff the Russian government is putting out messaging wise mixed with like really stupid stuff sort of, you know, to me continues this theme of like, why are they wasting this opportunity? Why are they bringing out this biolabs stuff that seems like it could really go somewhere and then just sort of distracting it by then like having the Russian embassy like post Candace Owens tweets. Well, that's that what just I'm, seems I mean, like yeah. it just doesn't make sense. Like, well, why yeah, would they Putin's waste going this? out there saying a bunch of stupid shit? I mean, he's not yeah. going out there saying anything that makes sense. He's going out there basically acting like Trump. And he's like calling like his own citizens like we're going to purge like the scum of Russia and stuff. It's like really loaded, inflammatory, insane rhetoric. I don't know if he's trying to like get under the skin of Westerners by bringing up the J.K. Rowling thing. Like, but that's all beside the point that I guess I wanted to make initially, which is just this fog of war making it totally impossible to, to determine like what actually is happening day to day. You know, like when we're all told that, for example, this Maripol theater that was bombed, basically it was like this huge news story, just like the Snake Island thing for like five. In fact, it was a news story for like a week straight that Russia deliberately bombed this massive theater that thousands of civilians were were hiding in a bomb shelter in the basement and that they had written children on the top of the theater and that Russia bombed it anyway because they're a bunch of sadistic psychopaths who want to kill as many people as possible. That's what we were told. And, you know, at this point, it's just, it's like there's so many things being bombed and so many people being killed that it almost seems moot, but it's not because it's just another instance of the media not actually taking accountability for a story that they've told everyone. Um, and, and I'll explain. After this bombing occurred, like they just kept saying thousands of people were inside. So you would assume that thousands of people were killed. Yeah. And that's like what everyone just took away from it was that Russia just like fucking sadistically blew up this giant theater where like thousands of people were. And then it turns out as like the days go by, like there's no actual proven casualties. Not that I'm like, <laughs> not that I'm like seeking this stuff out, but you would think that there would be something to go on like video footage of the rescue witnesses explaining what happened like there was just nothing there was just nothing at all and it was just like the, it all just moved on and now two weeks later you see bbc and cnn saying okay now we have a source one source of a pro azov like friend of the mayor of maripol who fled days prior to the attack citing that 300 died and there's no verification. And even some of these outlets are like, it's impossible to verify because of like, you can't get into the city. And it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't just fucking take some random guy's word at face value. Like what, it, where is the journalism here? This is a huge inflammatory story. It's a massive war crime. And then they just moved on. And it's like, wait, did 300 people even die? Because then there was another report from AP just days ago that said there were no casualties at all. That not one person got hurt. So does that mean that they bombed the theater, but everyone was safe in the bomb shelter and evacuated safely? Or that there was, like, were people there? Like, it is so goddamn confusing. And what's amazing is that the BBC journalist who has basically boasted that she has helped, like, put this story out there, this main journalist that I talked about earlier, has also publicly tweeted that she hates all Russians. 
She literally said, like, it's really hard for me to not look at every single Russian person with, like, hatred in my heart or something. And it's like, how on earth are you hired by the BBC? These people, it's, it's, it's similar to how news operated during the Cold War in the 1950s and 60s. They feel like they serve some kind of role in fighting, you know, in, in, on a side that they think is moral and righteous against evil. And I don't, I think on some level, some of these people maybe ultimately don't care because, because there's an understanding already that it's hard to get accurate on the ground reports like minute by minute in Ukraine because, because of the inherent fog of war that you have more slack when it comes to false reporting. It's not as much on you if you mm-hmm. basically right. are responsible for spreading something that's completely false, like what the story you just described and I think that gives them more of an out. So that's why I think you don't see as much accountability. And, you know, people probably intentionally take advantage of that state. Um, and uh, I think it's very effective because all you need is that initial pop. Like most mm-hmm. people don't even read the follow-up about it. Um, it's the initial version that gets all the headlines, even if it's corrected later on with an addendum at the bottom or or something. People, you know. Um, it's kind of like the beheading hoax. Like, I feel like there are probably people still in the world after I made the beheading video who probably just never saw the follow up about it being fake. They probably actually do think an American soldier. Oh, of course. Got I mean, ninety nine percent of these stories, no one sees the correction. I mean, did you hear anything about the Marpole theater bombing? Only, only the initial. You know, mm-hmm. how many people supposedly died? I, I remember mm-hmm. just sinking into my mind as like, wow, they're they're saying Russia killed all these civilians hiding in a theater. That was the that was the interpretation I took away from the, the headlines. Um, but I mean, there does seem to be, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm just selectively seeing these because of who I follow on Twitter. Probably am, but like I've seen some pretty weird videos that have come out so far that seem like Ukrainian soldiers doing atrocities on civilians and uh, Russian soldiers. Like there's a video that the Guardian tries really hard to like leave ambiguous. They seem like they're trying to debunk it in an article that came out today. It says Ukraine government investigates video alleged torture of Russian prisoners of war, where it just shows what look like Ukrainian soldiers, like basically kneecapping like three Russian soldiers with an assault rifle, like just blowing their kneecaps off. Very disturbing video. And it's funny even to see the Guardian delving a little bit into like where's the blood territory, so, so, slightly <laughs> just to see if they can like que- make plant a question in your mind that it might not be a real video. <laughs> it's it's weird, but there's another. There's also other pictures and videos coming out too that look like Ukrainian soldiers or like militias that are on the Ukrainian side, uh, saran wrapping or like taping using that like. Like that green wrap packing tape that you see in like warehouses packing pallets with like two like telephone poles. Yeah. And like hitting them with dildos and stuff like certain like types of like I think some Romanian immigrants were were like targeted. So and I don't know what to make of those videos. They're very disturbing. Obviously, they're probably real. But again, what the fuck's actually happening there? And I don't I haven't seen the mainstream media talking about those videos. So, you know, again, they're probably selectively not, you know, choosing not to talk about these videos or when they do like the guardian, it just makes it all about, you know, planting this idea in your mind that the video itself could just be fake or staged. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so funny given everything that we've covered. It's like, you know, and then on the other hand, you have people like Scott Ritter, this uh, WMD weapons inspector who 
um, he was caught basically trying to groom underage girls. And I'm not sure how young we're talking about, but mm-hmm. he's saying some really crazy shit, man. Like he's he? going out there. Oh my God. Like look at his Twitter from a couple of days ago. He basically is like, I, he like has all these bottles of Russian vodka, you know, I'm going to fucking just read it. Cause I can't even summarize how crazy okay. this is. It is mind blowing, dude. Um, well, I, I did yeah, see, um, I think it might've been Pepe Escobar, like right after the invasion and i always heard pepe escobar was like pretty a credible yeah guy a lot of people in alt media really look up to him yeah so i just started following him because i heard he was on this ukrainian biolabs thing and it was just like his tweet just said like confirmed double confirmed from sources like implying that he had talked to his own sources like all 11 ukrainian biolabs in ukraine have been like destroyed by like targeted and destroyed by like the russian army and all this shit. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, where is he getting this from? And apparently he just got it from nowhere. He just pulled it out of his ass because it that did not happen. So I don't know. Some of these people who have like a long-standing credibility in like alternative anti-imperialism, I have to be personally convinced by seeing like the body of their work to know if they're trustworthy or not. I'm like so skeptical of everybody at this point. Here's what Scott Ritter tweeted on 327. To the people of Russia and the brave men and women of the Russian armed forces, thank you for making the upcoming celebration of the defeat of Nazism on May 9th even more relevant and special. I'll be drinking in your honor. And he has a picture of all these like Russian beers. And then he says, good hunting. Good hunting. I mean, that to me is like really like a lot, you know? Well, it kind of implies that the other side are animals. And I think that once you start dehumanizing any side in war, I mean, it's one thing to like try to just like, um, you know, both sides this and just say like both sides are bad, but it's like a whole other different thing to be like, not just like pro Russian, but like actually dehumanizing, uh, the other side. It's strange. I mean, that's like, honestly, that was what grossed me out so much about the way anti-imperialists, how they were responding to ISIS once it got into like that weird dehumanization territory, you know, I started thinking, don't these people realize that people in ISIS have like children? They have like families. Like some of these people in ISIS probably were forced into it, like in captured territory. Some of these people didn't have a, probably have a choice. Like did the people not understand how this shit works? Like, so everybody who's in ISIS just automatically an animal all of a sudden. And that's, I just think when you start talking like that, it's, it's just not good. I don't know what Scott Ritter's deal is, but yeah, you know, every once in a while you see these like whistleblowers from like the Bush era, like becoming like little alt media celebs and then they kind of cycle back out. I don't know. I mean, at this point, I kind of had I had to be skeptical of all of them, even though I like some of the things Lawrence Wilkerson says. I like some of the things John Kiriakou says, I, you know, the Bush era was so fucking intense. Like, I don't I'm not going to take anybody fully at face value 100 um, percent. So like people like Seymour Hirsch whose all of his deep cuts have been fed to him by intelligence officers, you know? And it's like, at Mm -hmm. some point, you have to realize that these people were in the game for so long that they're never fully out of it. And if if you're being told something by someone who was like formerly CIA or FBI or whatever, like that's, they're cultivating something for you to hear, like, cause they know that you're putting something out there. And like when we bombed those ISIS caves in Afghanistan with the Moab blast and everyone was like, all right, like 
call it a day. We just blew up like a bunch of ISIS cavemen in these caves. And it's like, hold on, how many people died? How many like prison, like, like, yeah, the families, wives and like prisoners. Like, did they have anyone captive? Like there's just, there was just no concern whatsoever. Like, like, let alone like the ISIS individuals themselves. But it's like, who was there? Who was there? ISIS was a beautiful gift to like revert people back into that mindset that like full dehumanization of like Middle Easterners. It was such a cartoonish version of like jihadism and the spectacle of it. I, I really do think it just it just took us back to that like Bush post 9-11 era and people just don't care. They're able to just tune it out. Yeah. Here's another point I wanted to make based on what you were saying earlier about Putin and and like how the media and people respond to like watching the Russian army, like basically like killing another, you know, group of like white people, like Ukrainians, like Mm -hmm. almost like killing their quote unquote, their own kind. There is something that people even probably like liberals on a, on a gut level respond to that. That seems more evil to them. It's like, there's an inherent thing about like killing like people that aren't like white in another country is somehow just more, it means somehow like inherently you're less evil because it's like, yeah, like everybody's like casually racist. It's easier to see like people who are brown skinned as like not as human as you. <laughs> There's sort of like almost like a a secret white club understanding of like, yeah, like that's not as bad as like killing white people in a war because it means like there's a level of like real intent to it. Where like, how could you not see other white people as humans or some, do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, oh a, my God. Well, yeah. And I think it goes back to this notion that like Africa is just this barbaric, uncivilized continent and that they're always going to have civil war and genocide and strife and the Middle East in the same way. Middle East is a complete ter- in turmoil. Everyone's sectar- all these sects, everyone's fighting each other. And it's like, hmm, let's go back to the colonial times where huge imperialist powers actually just haphazardly carved up the entire Middle East with Sykes-Picot, and in the early 1900s, carved up the entire continent of Africa for colonizing powers. And then you just artificially sever century-long ties between all these regions and impose different ruling powers from colonizing entities. And then fast forward 100 years and you're like, oh my God, these people are just fucking barbaric. And oh, I guess war is just a totally normalized thing in these two regions of the world without any sort of historical understanding about why these regions are unstable. And I think it has to do with this normalization of just like conflict and war and perpetual like crimes committed against people of those different descents. And it's just, it's very disturbing. And it really is that kind of, colonizing attitude and you do see the mask slip time and again from all of these western reporters just being like this is not syria this is not africa these are blonde hair mm-hmm. blue-eyed europeans and that's why this is so devastating and then, and i think that in turn that makes it seem like putin is more evil than right. even like some of the most evil seeming like neocons here in totally. this country because because they didn't directly they never bombed any like white people directly or at least like became the face of it. You know, even though they, I'm, I'm sure that they did during the Clinton or W H W Bush era, there's probably some, for, for sure some white people being bombed. I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's really a shame that a lot of gross, just human aspects of human psychology are coming out 
in this. But it's also a shame too to like feel that there are a lot of leftists and anti-imperialists who sort of just knee-jerk revert into this frame of being like wholeheartedly trusting of the Russian line, the official Russian government line. And I just don't see why you would do that either. It's lazy. If you're unless you're Russian or Ukrainian, it's like I don't like your opinion is kind of it's like it's just so weird. It's like I get that there are Russian communists who agree with the denazification mm-hmm. thing because I read the Communist Party's statement on it and it's like kind of weird. And I, I think there are multiple communist parties and I think that is a big opposition block within Russia, one of the most significant ones. So there is a lot of nuance there to parse through. And it's like I don't consider your opinion valid unless you have skin in the game. But why don't why don't we wrap it up just by talking about, you know, what what just happened? Like a NATO summit just happened where Biden went to Brussels and, you know, there was this huge push for escalation. Of course, there's apparently some new bipartisan group in Congress called the Senate or I guess in in the Senate called the NATO Observer Group. And so their whole push was like, you know, of course, no fly zone. Um, and just increase weapons and, you know, increase sanctions, basically. It's all like the most like hawkish stuff that's going to really escalate the conflict. And so it was all this pressure on Biden to do all of this with this NATO summit. And I guess the big takeaways is like he's still refusing a no-fly zone, of course, because that would really mean direct um, confrontation between two nuclear powers. But he's basically, you know, he's agreeing with everything else. More sanctions, remove Russia from G20, um, help move in all of these Ukrainian refugees. Um, and, oh, and here's a really interesting thing that you'll like. Biden promises a U.S. response if Russia uses chemical weapons in Ukraine. That's one Wait, of the big who, who things that came out of NATO. this is what Biden said? This is one of the big takeaways from the NATO summit. Biden? Yeah. Well, he also said, and it might have been on the White House lawn, like after he got back, uh, he also said biological weapons yep that Ru- that russia might use that too his back is against the wall and uh, he's now he's talking about new false flags he's setting up including he's asserting that we america have biological as well as chemical weapons in europe simply not true i guarantee you they're also suggesting that ukraine has biological and chemical weapons in ukraine that's a clear sign he's considering using both of those. They're interchangeable uh, in, the, in this narrative now about back and forth false flag accusations. Yeah, I mean, it just leaves the door open to like, we will get involved. Like if something, you know, it's kind of like the Syria thing. It's like, that is our red line. It kind of creates this catch-all thing for if like anything does happen there involving right. chemical or biological weapons, it could create an in or a flashpoint scenario, even if it's like a natural outbreak of something, because... Like we discussed on the the bio labs episode with Gumby, some of these things they're working on at some of these labs are like natural zoonotic diseases that like could be released from the lab and then like almost be indistinguishable from a disease that had broken out in like Ukraine 30 years ago. It's weird. Did you see what, um, what's his, the, what's his face? Uh, Jen Stoltenberg said, the head of NATO, the secretary Mm-mm. general. No. Let me just read his quote what he said at this summit. He said, Russia should stop this dangerous, irresponsible nuclear rhetoric. But let there be no doubt about our readiness to protect and defend allies against any threat, any time. Russia must understand that it can never win a nuclear war. 
Yeah. NATO is not part of the conflict. It provides support to Ukraine, but isn't part of the conflict. Um, so really kind of oscillating to very extreme positions there. But I mean, obviously the most alarming one being that Russia must understand it can never win a nuclear war. I mean, what does that even mean? And this guy, I think traditionally has not been this hawkish sounding. So, I mean, from the last time I was really paying attention to what he's saying, this is a pretty big jump. What else happened at this summit? I mean, that's basically it. It was just agreeing to escalate every facet of this war except the no-fly zone, but then leaving on the table that there will be direct military interference if there is some sort of biological slash chemical attack. Really? Which basically sets the stage for a Syria-type red line scenario. And it is very scary because it's like you're just inviting some bad faith actor to do something horrific like this. No, that's exactly right. It's totally insane. And And then at the same time, Robbie, you have this huge rally in D.C., at the Lincoln Memorial, basically a no-fly zone rally, where Bill Crystal spoke at it. Lovely. Did you see that? I did, and I was happy to see him back on the fray. Like, you know, he was on those steps, I think, during the first Iraq war, like pro-Iraq war rally with, um, God, I want to say Condi Rice and some other actual Bush officials. He, like, it was kind of like a mixture of, like, the uh, the PNAC band getting back together. Yeah. It was, like, some people from Bush. Welcome and, back, guys. And and there he is again. And, and seeing those Ukrainian flag colors all around him was, it was a beautiful sight. Bill Crystal, who is the founding director of Defending Democracy Together, and who served as an advisor to President Reagan and Bush's administrations. Defending Democracy, think about it. We're all doing it right now. Ukrainians are defending the democracy of the world. Bill, please. Thank you, Marina. It's really an honor to be with you today. Uh, As Marina said, defending democracy together. Uh, It's an honor to stand in solidarity with all of you. Uh, And really, above all, of course, with the people of Ukraine, who are reminding us what free men and women can do under brutal assault from an aggressor, from a dictator uh, who is violating obviously all the laws of war and all the norms of decency. And Ukraine is reminding us that free men and women can stand up against aggression, can fight bravely and nobly against aggression, and can win against the aggression of a dictator. So for that, I'm it's an honor here in America. We're not doing nearly as much, obviously, as anything close to as much as people in Ukraine to stand for freedom, but I hope we can do our part to help. Uh, but mostly I want to say thank you uh, to the people of Ukraine for reminding us of this important lesson, for reminding us of the cost of freedom, but also of the, the worth of fighting for freedom. Here in front of the Lincoln Memorial, one really thinks about We fought for freedom here and suffered terrible losses in the Civil War. And of course, a little bit late, but came to the help of Europe in in the 20th century. And once again, I really do hope we we can quarrel about some of the details, but I think we will come, we are coming to the help of those fighting for Europe in the 21st century. 2022, this year, 2022, could really be a turning point. I think in the history, of course, of Ukraine and Russia, but also in the history of Europe, but also for the world. I was in the White House 
1989 when the Berlin Wall fell, in 1991 when Ukraine achieved once again independence. I've always been proud to have been a very minor, tiny player in the White House at that historic moment. But we should all be proud, I think, to be doing our part to help here 30 years later at what could be a really key moment of reversing the advances of the authoritarians and the dictators, which have happened to some over the last 10, 15 years, of reversing the pessimism about freedom and democracy. And for that, I hope we in America can contribute, but the people, the people who deserve the most credit if this becomes a turning point are the people of Ukraine. And so I want to say we stand with you and we honor your sacrifice and it's a great, uh, it's to your credit, but really it's an honor. Yeah, and a, like a kind of a lullaby, like women holding babies, being like these babies are going to die unless you close the sky, like really crazy stuff like that. It reminded me of um, Zelensky's speech to Congress. Um, mm -hmm. Very dramatic imagery before begging for World War III. There's also like negotiations happening between Russia and Ukraine, and I'm not sure what other actors are involved in this, but the last I saw was that Russia agreed on these evacuation routes for civilians from besieged cities. I'm not sure how that's being implemented. But then I just read before we did this podcast that Russia said, and who knows if this is going to change <laughs> once the podcast is over, but Russia said that they're going to like pull back on fighting. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't know if they went in their full regime change and then they're realizing that they're going to be bogged down way too long. And now they're claiming that they just want those semi-autonomous regions and control of um, Donetsk and stuff. Like, I don't know if they're changing strategy or if this is all just like up in the air still. But apparently that, that I mean, that's the last thing I read before this. So and there's no way and there's absolutely no way that the U.S. is going to give them a concession like that at this point. Oh, hell I can't no. imagine it. Hell no. And it's such, you know, obviously from a zoomed out perspective, I want detente. I want as much cooperation between Russia and the United States as possible. You know, the Iranian deal is what a lot of people are talking about is mm -hmm. why this cooperation needs to exist right now. Cause the Biden administration really wants that. But I mean, I don't really buy that. I don't really think the Obama administration, I mean, sorry, I don't really think the Biden administration is that dead set on making sure that deal stays in place. I really don't think they are. I mean, have they, how much have they signaled publicly that like that's a goal, you know, a serious goal of theirs right now? Almost less so than Obama virtue signaled about closing Gitmo uh, when he got in there. So they put that off the table right from the get. Um, so I don't know why that would be like even playing a role and de-escalation at all. While the U.S. is banning all Russian media and shutting down all alternative voices that are contrary to this kind of bipartisan consensus on foreign policy, of course Russia's mass censoring as well. All independent media has been shut down in Russia. Apparently people could be charged with like over a decade in prison for not supporting the war. The thing is, it's really hard to like know what's real and what's just hyperbolic from Western media about what Russia is doing internally. 
-hmm. but it must be bad enough where like Russians are fleeing. Um, and that's been verified by our friends, Evgenia and Yasha, two great Russians who have told me, you know, several of their friends are like fleeing because they were involved in the anti-war protests and they could be charged with like, you know, these, these draconian laws that could put them in prison for a decade and they have kids and stuff. And so this is like, it's really disturbing, you know? And then you have Germany, actually states in Germany banning the Z symbol, like literally banning the Z symbol. It's like, why the fuck? Like, this is just insane now. You know, it's like, what is on earth is going on? For people who don't know what that is, explain what yeah, that is. Yeah, the Z symbol, the- it's kind of weird because Z is not a character in Russian, but it's kind of been the f- the face of the invasion and I still am confused about why, but that's being painted on hmm. Russian tanks. Um, Russia insignia has like this Z symbol on it, which is kind of funny because it's like World War Z. It's like the zombification of like this weird new war. Um, it's so opaque and abstract that that's what makes it so weird that like Germany is doing this. And back to the whole there's no good actors here. Zelensky also has banned 11 different political parties in Ukraine Mm. and people like people keep trying to excuse this. Like I've seen several pieces being like, oh, people think that this is strange, but like, really, it's not. It actually makes perfect sense why he would ban these parties because they're pro-Russian. And it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why is any of this okay? Why is it okay for Zelensky to do this? Like back in 2015, there was actually several articles about the crackdown on communism in Ukraine, this anti-communist fervor caused the Ukrainian government at the time to ban the communist party. And so I've seen people being like, oh, they're banned, like, oh, these aren't really like leftist parties. Like these are just idiots taking like the national socialists at face value. Like they would have thought the Nazis were left too. It's like, no, 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 no. Like this is actually has happened. Like the actual communist party was banned way before this happened. So this is, you can't even excuse this as like war fever, like him trying to consolidate information and political unity based on the war. Like this, this happened Mm -hmm. a long time ago, dude. And so it's just so, it's like so extreme, all of like the, the people trying to justify any of this shit. It's like, why is that okay? But like Russia's banning all this stuff too. Like it's really crazy. Like Russia blocked Google news. Russia's Mm -hmm. banned Facebook and Instagram And you have this media regulator from Russia um, putting out the statement saying that these contain unreliable information about Moscow's military actions. And, you know, even if you refer to it as a war, I guess, like, that's grounds for being banned or whatever. But it's just, like, so crazy that you just see this everywhere as if it's the Mm -hmm. worst thing in the world. And I, I do think it's really awful. And I do believe in free speech. But it's like, we're doing the same thing here, insidiously so. And Ukraine is also banning all of these political parties that are deemed too sympathetic to Russia. Like, that's really scary because these are countries that are, are border each other. Like, it, it, like there are there are tons of Ukrainians living in Russia, Russians living in Ukraine. A lot like Zelensky himself was elected on like this pro-peace platform. He spoke yeah. Russian specifically in his campaign platform to try to like like put forward a path to peace amid this like civil war type conflict that was happening in these regions. So it is just disturbing all around. But again, it's this binary that you, you have to take a side and you have to say, you know, you're for one and against the other. And like, it's never that easy guys. And there's a lot going on. And 
And I don't even know where I'm going with this, but it's just, it's super sad and scary what's happening within Russia, what's happening within Ukraine, and what's happening here. And I don't know where it's going to go, but it's not going to go well. No. And I think that what worries me too is when I see like rhetoric that seems like it's being, I don't know where it's coming from, but it seems like it circulates like on the actual like Marxist left spheres where it does seem like there's a lot of attempts for people to make anything seem like it's if it's right wing coded like you can't it's bad like for example what you're saying about how they're mm-hmm, saying the these political parties Zelenska is crushing are like national socialists or maybe maybe some people are even saying they're secret duganists or something yeah like as if that makes it okay it's like even if that's totally true it does seem like an insidious weird way to just get you to not look at lots of different things happening right now like for example the biolabs thing there was a whole Atlantic piece about how all these podcasts were covering this Russian disinformation and let's look at what podcasts covered it. And they like rank the podcast and they're just like all these, the most popular like right wing shows like the Ben Shapiro show, the Charlie Kirk show. And they, the, it seems like the whole point of the article is to make it appear that this is a fully right wing conspiracy theory. It's basically like QAnon if you're even like looking into this. So it's almost just trying to like shame you from looking at this this subject. And I, I do think there's a lot of that going on right now. It's really insidious and really muddying the waters of things where it's hard to know what to trust. Yeah. And I've seen the same thing about the Wagner group, people being like the Azov Battalion's like basically has zero presence and it's being super mm-hmm. inflated and you're just aiding and abetting Putin's invasion if you like talk about them and they're like, what about the Wagner group? Which is oh, like, it's like way a Russian bigger Nazi group or something. Yeah, and it's like it's some Russian like paramilitary force that's like a net a nebulous network of like Nazi adjacent like mercenaries, I guess. Which is like, yeah, that is fucking crazy. Like, yeah, we. I mean, sure, but it's like that. I don't. It's like what? <laughs> you know, you're totally right. That does seem like a weird inserted way to deflect. It's like let's at least talk about the Azov thing before we move on to. If you want to talk about Ukrainian or Russian Nazis, fine. But at least, like, give me the space to, like, discuss this subject first and before you, like, just act like it's a counter argument to bringing it up. It's not. It's like. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, sure. I mean, let's let's talk about how the Wagner group is potentially on the ground in Ukraine and there's like Nazis fighting each other. Like, that is an interesting angle. But don't obfuscate the Nazis that are fighting because it's not necessary and it's telling a one sided story. And I it makes me not trust you. And at this point, there are very little trustworthy sources out there, but I'll leave you with this. Um, Maria Baronova, the editor-in-chief of RT, apparently, stepped down like directly after we uh, did our last podcast on RT America, End of an Era. And she said um, that we're on the verge of nuclear war. She was like, she was basically like, we're all going to die. I mean, pretty much. It was a really ominous, um, kind of disturbing send-off, you know, that, that this yeah. woman did. She was just like, we're all going to die. And, like, she was like, please tell everyone that, like, Russians love their children, too. And it was just like, God. oh, my God. And it just, like, really drives home that, like, everyone, like, all Russians, all Ukrainians, we all bleed the same. We all cry the same. We all love our children the same we're all humans, dude. Like, you know, all the, all the politics aside, like 
it's just really sad, you know, and I don't have skin in the game like these people do. And again, like the only thing that I can do is try to do the best I can with this information and relay it to you guys and just try to like emphasize that as an American citizen, all I can do is pressure my government to stop escalating the situation because I know they don't give a shit about human life. No, I think if more than anything, if Biden really does have power in this situation, he doesn't want to have it on his legacy to be the one to like get us into World War Three. No one does. I don't think anyone really wants that. It just like for their own selves and their own egos. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. They don't ultimately do not give a shit about human life. The amount of like damage and gore and just human carnage that's being caused by these weapons they're sending over to Ukraine, probably unfathomable. Like I said, these people do not have proper training with these weapons, even though they come and train with our U.S. soldiers sometimes. And, you know, there's so much collaboration. It's it's very self-evident that they are not well-trained. And uh, I think it's just adds even more danger to the situation for just human suffering. And Ukrainian civilians in the wake of this who are basically just pawns in the middle of this, you know, just like you said in your rant, uh, they're pawns of basically a global chessboard. And we, we are, it's a proxy war um, to some extent, but Russia this time has decided to just go in with their troops. So it's not really a proxy war from their side at this moment, but they're fighting our proxies. And uh, it's a real shame. I, I just hope that there's a way to deescalate this somehow. I really hope so too. And hopefully by the next podcast, there will have been some de-escalation. I'm really choosing to be optimistic after reading Russia's last statement. And that's all we can hope for. Robbie, do you have any closing thoughts? Because one of our listeners just, you know, I had a kind of a candid conversation with him and he was like, well, what is Ukraine supposed to do? Like they, if, if Ukraine puts down their weapons, Russia will take over Ukraine. And if Ukraine stops fighting, the war will be over. What's your response to that? I think that that's the fundamental problem with this. It's like the Ukrainians aren't just acting because they're being led by the United States. It's like once their territory is actually invaded, they have personal stake in it. Their people are going to get killed. They're going to want vengeance. You know, just family members that were killed. So I don't know. I can't say that I can blame a Ukrainian for wanting to pick up an arm arms against a Russian. I also can't blame Russians who got hoodwinked into thinking that this was something that like a noble fight to do this. It's sad. And I don't, it's a really fucked up situation. So I really don't know. I don't know what I would say, honestly. And, you know, I know some of our listeners uh, have gotten a little bit more, I don't know, anti-Russian since the last time that this happened, I've noticed. And I noticed that they're interpreting, you know, we're, I think we're trying to do a really good job here to like, be as honest as possible and not take anything like the Russian government or the U S government saying at face value, even though I got to say the U S to me is much more dangerous. I mean, our information war capabilities to me is like a thousand times more sophisticated than anything Russia has done. That's where I tend to worry about the most, but I, I just don't, I don't even know what I'm trying to fucking say dude. but those are my, <laughs> those are my final thoughts. That's mm -hmm. it. That's all I got. Well, thank you so much, you guys, for listening to another doozy edition of Media Roots Radio. Join us at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio for one 
patron-exclusive podcast every month, and they are not just phone-in podcasts. These are in-depth investigations that my brother is putting together four to five hours long at times that really hone in to just the most obscure, fascinating topics, completely memory-hold. Please check it out, patreon.com slash Radio. We have a Discord going, and... I'm excited to announce, Robbie, I'm finally putting up the Media Roots Radio shirts on abbymartin.org. Check it out. Throw me and my brother some cash, 20 bucks for really fucking comfortable cotton shirts, both black and white Media Roots Radio, abbymartin.org. Check it out and you'll get some free art stickers with every purchase as well as Media Roots Radio stickers. Thanks so much for listening, you guys, and thank you so much for supporting independent media. We appreciate y'all. Take care, everybody.